We are rolling in. Christine and Lisa, take it away. Hello, Hivians. Today's episode of The Wretched Hive is brought to you by Audible.com. That's right, Lisa. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at... Sorry! <laughs> I said child. That's right, Lisa. Get a free audiobook download. <laughs> Stop it! No, no. Shut up! Today's episode of The Wretched Hive is brought to you by Audible.com. Today's... <laughs> That's right, Lisa. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash hive. That's H-I-V-E. That's right, Christine. Over 180,000 titles. Titles. To choose from on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or M3. (laughs) (laughs) Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. We must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. I am so pumped for tonight's show. I'm so excited. This week's show is, we are filled to the brim with Star Wars news. The blue milk bucket overfloweth. You might say it's bursting at the seams. It's bursting at the seams with blue milk. I'm not sure what that means, but I mean, we've got, we've got Bob Iger news. We've got episode eight news, episode nine news, Han Solo news. We've got the official debut of our new interview segment called The Couch. Ooh, yep. nice. Too much, but we can handle it because we are the Wretched Hive podcast for Friday, June 9th, 2017, episode 38. And I am joined by my co-hosts, as always, my Wookiee co-pilot, Greg Lent. Thank you, Steve Baldwin. It's so nice to be here. Um I, I, I'm a little worried this week, though, because this is twice, uh, maybe the third time, but at least twice that we've played this opening clip now, and I'm really afraid somebody's going to come down on us for selling free children. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Well, they make children. I know. At least one of them does. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got hands-on experience with that, Ooh. if you know what I'm saying. Also joining us tonight, lifelong Star Wars fan, Scott Ivansky. Steve, it's great to be here tonight. I'm feeling a little mellow. Man. I'm not sure if I'm going to be bringing the room, the room down here, but it's going to be a good night. It's going to be a good night. It's going to be a good night. It's already been a good night. It is. I got to record and publish those pre-show, the pre-show conversations. Oh my god, it's, it's better than anything we've ever done. I had to take it down a notch because it really was out of control. So my god. Also joining us, the captain of the Millennial Falcon, not the Millennium Falcon, the Millennial Falcon, Nico Rodriguez. 
Uh, oh, oh, Hi, we... everybody. My name's Nico. <laughs> Shut up. Who is too poor to pay attention, apparently. <laughs> wow. Having technical difficulties. Um, I'm glad to be here. I uh, hope you guys didn't miss me too much last week. Hope you guys didn't get into uh, any trouble or anything with last week's show. No, not at all. We interviewed a pinup model. Oh, sounds it. completely harmless. Yep. Yeah. Nothing nothing bad happened there. No. Good stuff. Sounds like a man who took the time to listen to last week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have a really long intro. Dave! Under no circumstances. Should you make this intro be any less than 15 minutes? Should you ever? Ever. And I mean, never. 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 Call him. Heart shape boner. Harry. <laughs> that is my favorite Nirvana song. Oh, Potter. Good afternoon, morning, and evening to everybody. We are five by five, all of us on the Wretched Hive here tonight. Uh, everybody's in a very good mood, if you can't tell already. And I, 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 I want to give a shout out. This is not a Star Wars related thing, but this is definitely, definitely geek related. But uh, Scott, your favorite movie theater. Your favorite chain, TCL Chinese Theaters. Yes. They are going to be here in Los Angeles having a special screening on Tuesday, June 13th. So there's still time for people to get tickets for this. Mm. A special screening, the 35th anniversary of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Ooh. It'll be the director's cut, and it will be featuring a Q&A with uh, director and uncredited screenwriter Nicholas Meyer, mm. star Nichelle Nichols. Ike Eisenman and Alan Howarth. Well, Dave, I only have it one was... thing to say about that. Con! Exactly. Ow. Oh God, that and hurt. just because that and just so because bad. that's not enough geek credential for this event, they will also do a special screening of the original Star Trek series episode Space Seed prior to the movie. Ooh, oh, that's very strong. nice. That's strong. That is yeah. that is strong. I am pissed I cannot attend this, but I just wanted to put a shout out out there to our many fans. If you're in Los Angeles, check this shit out. Wow. Um, what are the what are the dates of that there, Dave? Because it Star is, Trek 2 is my favorite Star Trek movie. So It is everybody's favorite Star Trek movie. Hello. I beg to <laughs> differ and that leads us to this. It's a little game we like to call Star Wars Choices. Think of a hard choice you'll face in the near future. It's true. Okay, would you rather be intimate with a Wookiee? Choose wisely. Or be intimate with Ula, but Jabba gets to watch? I just assume he's a Wookiee. Why do I have to choose? Star Wars Choices! All right, this is the Star Trek version of Star Wars Choices. Would you rather... You've got one Star Wars movie... Sorry, Star Trek movie that you can watch ever again. You can either choose Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, or Star Trek IV... I don't remember what it's called, but it's the one with the whales. The Voyage Home. The Voyage Home. The Voyage Home. Thank you. We just dropped a couple... 
nerd creds right there. Man, that's okay. Well, I'll turn well, in my somebody card. Somebody dropped I'll a couple get, nerd creds. Yeah. Steve, get, Steve to, did. The rest of us are fine. I need to deposit. <laughs> I need to deposit. I need to make a deposit in my in my uh, nerd cred account. Um, Star Trek Four returning. The Voyage, Voyage Home. Home. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Or Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Which one is it? Greg, what say you? God, it's it's Wrath of Khan all day, every day, twice really? on Sundays. Get the fuck out of here with these fucking whales. Let them die. Wow. Oh, wow. All right. Wow. Okay, Dave? Well, first, the answer to Greg's question was, the screening is June 13th, Greg. I got <laughs> I got 13th. cut off. I feel like I'm a Senate witness testifying right now. Didn't even get to answer the question. <laughs> but still, he persisted. Don't call him Comey. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm with Greg. Uh, while I love both of those, uh, if I have to choose one, it is Star Trek II all day, every day. And frankly, I probably have half of it already memorized. Wow. Okay, Nico? Um, I like earbuds better than whales. Mm. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Well played. Wow. Okay. All right, Scott. Now tell me, Nico, why? Help are me you out here, here? Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I. You know what? I'm torn. I. I love both of these films, but uh, I got to. As much as I love the whales, I'm gonna have to go with with Con. Damn. I thought I was gonna at least split the room a little bit. I'm sorry, man. It was. You know what? I didn't wow. know this was coming. Yeah, I know. You hit me, and I'm telling you right now. It's a tough choice, but I'm going with Khan. I am going with Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Screw all of you. This is Ben. So, Star Wars hang on. Story. I want to... <laughs> it, apparently, it's hang on. cut off Dave Knight. <laughs> I want to I see if this changes the outcome at all. If you have to choose one, mo- one Star Trek movie, is it Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, or Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams reboot? Ooh. Mm, yeah, I'm going to go uh, with The I... Voyage Home. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked the JJ reboot reboot, but I think I'm going uh, Wrath of Khan on Khan on that one. Uh, well, as the I'm sorry, is the choice Wrath of Khan or is the choice Voyage Home versus the JJ reboot? Which is it, it's which Wrath is, of Khan or JJ uh, Abrams reboot? Yeah, it's Wrath uh, it, of Khan is the is the yeah the be, it's the I said to kick off the segment. It was the it's the best Star Wars excuse me Star Trek movie <laughs> that they made. So all right, did you have to think about it at least though? No. No. <laughs> Voyage Home, I would think about it. I cuz I like the JJ reboot. I thought it was I thought it was good. I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great reintroduction to the series, but um it, you know, 2 is better. It's not it's not like a choice of deciding between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Star Trek 2 is The Wrath of Khan is the is the by far far and away hands down winner. Okay, I just have to it's know. It's the Golden State Warriors of uh of Star Trek movies. What oh. What is besides Steve in the room here tonight? What is the hate for Voyage Home? It's such a damn good movie. It, no, it's no hate at all. It's just no hate. Wrath of Khan is far superior. No, yeah. I, I've sent some hate tonight for it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I, I've got one. I've got one. I'm sorry. We let go, me, let we... me go back and requote Greg on this. <laughs> fuck the whales. Those fucking whales. <laughs> fuck you, whales. Die, whales. Oh, well, all right, I, I got one here. What do you go? Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, or Episode Two? Attack of the Clones. Oh my oh, god. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't even know what that last put... title was that you talked. <laughs> so you guys are telling me that there's a Star Trek movie that's better than a Star Wars movie. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna plead the fifth seeing as how this is a Star Wars podcast. There it's you know, okay, Nico. It's, it's okay. We'll talk about, about Star Wars too later tonight. It made a list how... and I'm, I'm I'll yeah. tell you we'll, we'll talk how about that about... later. 
How about uh, uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones versus Star Trek Into Darkness? Oh, Ooh, damn. Interesting. <laughs> that, that's... I'll, hmm. I'll still go Into Darkness. Would you really? Oh, I don't know if I would. Over um... over hating sand? Yeah. Yeah, I would. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh. Right, I, I think I think I'm begrudgingly on, uh, with you. I think you sold me on that one just because I, I really don't need to see him chopping pears with a fork again so <laughs> <laughs> and force pushing them into his lover's mouth uh i am going to go oh man yeah i'm going star trek on that one sorry mm. sorry hayden yep you're a nice guy okay all right i'm stopping giving you guys choices I'm cutting you off. <laughs> no more choices. Well, uh, if you would like to talk about your Star Wars versus Star Trek choice, give us a call. 562-455-4483. That's 562-455-HIVE. You can also find us uh, on the web now. We've got our own website. The only thing that's up there is show notes links, but it's helpful if you follow the show. It's at uh, www.therechedhive.net. And we're very active on Facebook. Check us out, facebook.com forward slash Wretched Hive Podcast. So, and that was a sneeze. God bless you. Yeah. Sorry, my fault. That's all right. No problem. So, okay, not my fault. <laughs> guys, we are debuting a new a new segment tonight. It's the, the we are debutting. The official debut of the Wretched Hive podcast interview segment. Now, we all grew up in the 70s. All but one of us did. Which one Which one of us didn't grow up in the 70s? Was Dave, it? are you Me? lying about your age? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave grew up in the 50s. Um, so, you know, during the 70s was the heyday of, of talk shows on television, right? You had, of course, you had the king of all talk shows. You had Johnny Carson on the tonight show. You had Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, Phil Donahue, Dick Cavett, for goodness sakes, Flip Wilson all had Wally freaking George. Wally. Was that in the seventies? That's probably eighties. Maybe eighties. That's okay. (laughs) We can, we can blend. Uh, Well, we are debuting our own seventies TV style talk show here on the wretched hive tonight it's called the couch our guests come into the wretched hive have a seat on our comfy couch and uh and we talk about what they're doing and and what they've got going on uh in their careers in their lives and their love of star wars and uh scott and i had the pleasure this last weekend of interviewing a fantastic band out of los angeles california the hellflowers and uh, so we bring you our interview with the Hellflowers. Enjoy. That was not the <laughs> intro that I meant to play. Hey, let's see what's on TV. $405 and living. It's a story of a man named Brady. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. Welcome to the couch with the Wretched Hive Podcast. Awesome! (laughs) 
Okay, so uh, this is Steve and Scott with the Wretched Hive Podcast. Hey, Steve. Good to be here again. Good to have you. And we're back with another interview this week, this time with the Hellflowers, rock band out of California. Good morning. Good morning. We've got uh, Christina, we got Matt and Kat. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes. So we are, we're recording this on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. So appreciate you guys getting up. I know how the you know the rock and roll lifestyle doesn't always lend itself to early morning interviews. No. Well, thanks for having us. <laughs> I'm not even living the, the rock and roll lifestyle, man. I am not awake right now, but that's all right. Don't shortchange yourself. You, right, you, yeah. are, you kind of live the rock and roll lifestyle for a podcast. And I'm never awake, so it doesn't matter, right? That's true. Okay. And when you are usually inebriated. So. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Keeping guys. <laughs> Keeping that on the down low. Oh, Sorry. no, I'm not. I tell that all the Come time. Come on. Yeah. That's, that's a all regular right. occurring uh, conversation <laughs> on the show, our alcohol consumption. Anyway, let's. I want to I know about your band. Scott, Scott told me, uh, turned me on to you guys a few weeks ago. Um, I have been tracking the new EP, Vacation. Uh, I love it. It's 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 great. I I think it's uh it's really a step up from from Come On Let's Dance, which was a lot of fun as well. But before we get to the songs, can tell me about uh how you came together. How did you meet and uh how long have you been playing together? Um well, I met Kat through Matt, so they used to work together, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then we know Mark through um SoCal Rocket Dynamics. So he's in like another band, uh, the drummer. So Matt and I, we've been playing together since the the beginning of the band. And then uh, when uh, the other member, we kind of lost the guitar player and drummer. So where'd you lose him? <laughs> I don't know. Ecuador. Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> they just vanished, and then we had to replace them. And so Matt's like, "Well, I've been wanting to play with Cat," so he hit Cat up. And then I was like, "Well." He's like, I was like, can we ask Mark? And he's all, just ask him. And I did. And he's like, yeah, I'm down. And so we kind of knew both of them from before. And um, yeah, and they were down to play with us. Yeah, and it's been about a year they've yeah, been playing with us. Well, Matt and I worked in the circus watching elephants. Yeah. So we got, <laughs> I knew there was a... Kind of similar. We were working at DreamWorks together, so it's it's pretty much the same job. (laughs) So you guys are based out of L.A. Have you played uh, a lot around the L.A. uh, area? Um, Continue to play a lot around the L.A. area. Um, We're actually, I'm trying to get something set up down in your guys' neck of the woods because we've been having I keep hitting up Alex's and it's like either the whole band can't do it or they don't get back to me. It's like a thing, you know? So it's like, they get back to me sometimes, but. (laughs) Alex's is great. And uh, I think there's, what is it? Deep Piazza's is also down here and uh, a few other places. Yeah, you can play in a lava cave at Deep Piazza, which is really cool. I've only hit up Alex's. I don't know any of the other places. Yeah. Got it. So do you have any gigs coming up in the L.A. area? We do. Um, Friday the 16th at the Hi-Hat in uh, Highland Park. And if you guys haven't been to the Hi-Hat yet in Highland Park, it's amazing. It like, is. It's, it is a huge, uh, very, very cool venue, great sound, great people. Um, love it. It looked like it was like a at one time a huge pool hall that they just cleared out half the tables and put up a great stage. And um, a Neon Misfits 
logo in the corner, which is pretty rad. Yes, <laughs> yes. Awesome. That's what sold me on that. So Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that, this place is cool. <laughs> that's Friday, June 16th. Awesome. And can we put a link up on our page for that show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about some of the songs uh, on this, uh, on your most recent EP. You know, the, the title track, Vacation, um, uh, it, you know, for as upbeat as that song is, and by the way, Christina, are you the lyricist? for the the band okay so as upbeat as that song is lyrically it really seems to be coming from a dark place and i thought it was interesting um you know contrasting it to last year's come on let's dance which i thought was almost like early beatles-esque with the lyrics almost like i want to hold your hand sort of a feel can you talk about that where did where do your uh where does your inspiration for your lyrics come from was upbeat and happy and Matt said it was too upbeat and happy, so I rewrote the lyrics to be more negative. <laughs> That's not that particular song. That was a happy song. I wanted everyone to feel my pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it certainly wasn't what I was expecting. I want a vacation from you. Actually, his concept, I wrote the lyrics, but it was initially a happy song, and then he's like, this is too happy, and I was like, okay, well then, he's like, make it more like it's a vacation from, her. I was like, okay, and so I just rolled with that, because pretty much, you know, right, whatever, so I'm like, I'm down to write whatever. I think it gave it a different level, like it gave it more of a... Well, you know. found it more interesting, so obviously he had something there. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I saw you guys, uh, oh goodness, the first, I think the first show I saw was about a year, year and a half ago at the Tiki Bar. Uh, down mm-hmm. in Orange County, yeah. and um, <clears throat> that song was played. It wasn't on the first EP, obviously. It became the title song of the new EP, but were those lyrics in place at the time? I'm trying to remember yes. now. Mm-hmm. Before we ever played it out, I rewrote it. Okay, yeah. okay. That, um, yeah, that was the first time that we'd ever played that live. That's and a, yeah. yeah, a great and, song, but, great time. Thanks. I remember you, you responded to it really well. You're all, that song was amazing. Yes. Uh, I'm like, hey, thanks, man. That's yeah. super so uh, it wasn't just a song. That actual show was uh, just a great time. Just yeah, I think um, I mean that was the one. Um, who else was Grave Danger was with us, and then mm-hmm. so, oh, I can't remember the other band. I'll click the flyer, but um, everybody. Oh, it was, was like the Tiki. It was a Tiki band. Yeah, yeah the uh, Kevin Daly and Grave Danger and um, the Tiki Creeps, right? Yeah, Tiki Creeps. They were great, and yeah. like it, everybody was super nice. I mean, it was like that venue. Yeah, had the had really just amazing sound. Oh yeah, the sound guy was the cool. sound guy was incredible. I forgot what his name was. Um, yeah. Super cool. It just it's so sort of like you gotta know where it is, and you've gotta like um, every time I've been there, I've been there probably that was like my third time. Um, I saw the Cadillac Tramps play there before Gabby passed away, and then um, and then that was a fun show. Yeah, and then. Uh, and then our show, but like it's it was kind of a ghost town. It's like if you're not an Orange County local, like yeah, somebody coming out. So well, and that was before we hooked up with Os. Was it before we? Yeah. yeah, they would probably have helped us, but like we weren't really connected with them yet. Gotcha. So it sounds like you've you know you've played around a lot. You've had a lot of influences. The first time, the, actually, the first song I listened to is String. Mm-hmm. String, and I I love that song. And actually, the the backing vocals or the 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 double tracking on the end of that song is great. Um, when I first heard that, I thought, "Wow, these guys sound like the Pretenders with an edge." That's you know, like cool. I, like I hear Chrissy Hine in your voice. Do you do oh, you, you. Would, would you consider? Uh, am I right about that as an influence? 
Um, would I say the pretenders are an influence? Yeah. Um, I love the pretenders. Um, possibly. I definitely grew up listening to them. So, I mean, there's a lot of like 80s and 90s just because, you know, I was a kid in the 80s, a teenager in the 90s. So I guess a lot of those, those stuff just kind of ended up coming out in the music. You know? Yeah. What, what are some of the bands uh, from that era that you, that you would say that you emulate most? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, people say the Go-Go's and the Ramones, but that wasn't on mm. purpose. Um, you know, it just kind of happens. You know what I mean? Things just happen. Like, Ooh. I never consciously, you know, I wouldn't know. Except for honest. Come On, Let's Dance, because we're um, I would up. say, like, for me, my biggest influence is, like, as far as, is, like, I say The Smiths and The Cure, but I don't think our music sounds like that at all. But, like, those are, like, two of my huge, huge, like, they've stuck with me from, like, 11 till now, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. But it's kind of funny how music, it sort of like seeps into your, your personal taste and what you're into kind of seep into your playing and your writing and, you know, you almost can't help it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. man, I'm, I'm going to jump in. I think you were going to jump in on something about the Ramones sound uh, on Come On, Let's Dance. Yeah. I, that's one of the first things I thought instantly. It has that punk, uh, solid feel with a, almost like a pop influ- influenced upbeat, uh, almost like a, like a dance number, basically. And I love that. Well, when the song was initially written, when Christina wrote the song, um, it didn't. We weren't playing it with that with that Ramonesy backbeat. We um, and I'm just like, well, let's try it. Let, you know, let's straight up Ramones it out. Like, let's just see what happens. And immediately, it just clicked and it worked. And um, it just that song took a turn. So, you know, who else can I rip off? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know, talking to, and I, you know, I, I don't think you can it's fair to say that you're ripping somebody off. I mean, it's everything's been done before, it, you know, you're, you're reframing things. You're, you're influenced by things. And, you know, another one of those influences I heard on a lot of the guitar work, actually, maybe Kat, you can speak to this a little bit is um, the, 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 your there's a solo. And I think it's on nightmare. That's it's very simple, yeah. um, but there's almost like a U2 sort of an edge echoey tone to it. Yeah. I, I was wondering if that if if I was right in picking that up, or you know, what are some of your influences uh, with with the guitar work? You want to know? You just jumped down the rabbit hole. I know there's so <laughs> many at this point. Um, I've uh, just you know, there's so many guitar players that are just great out there. I, I would say for myself, if I had to like name my top three, um, I would probably say uh, like John Five. I don't know if you guys know who he is from Rob Zombie. Played oh, with yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Dave Navarro, huge James Addiction fan. Huge uh, James, James Addiction fan. I mean there, this yes. with all love. You have a little bit of a Dave Navarro vibe to you, by the way. Uh, well, <laughs> nice. Well, I <laughs> then, let's see. Who else? How to pick a third one? Who else have I said? Oh, you've said so many. It's I like do. I can't even. <laughs> I know mine for was... like rock and roll guitarists. I'm a big turbo. I like Turbo Negro, and my I love um, Euroboy. Mm-hmm. Nice. He's, <laughs> that's my yeah, guitar guys. player. Like, but for country, it's Don Rich. So because I used to be in a country band. <laughs> now that's funny that you say that because I definitely picked up on it. I want to say, gosh, what it wasn't running through the fog. Maybe that has the acoustic guitar. Johnny Jack Jim is my is that. Oh, country. that's the one. That's the one on the <laughs> other on the. Uh, on the come on let's dance ep 
that I, I really like that song a lot, and I definitely picked up that country vibe from it. So it, it you know, it was uh, a country song, and we kind of social deed it out a little bit. Yeah, you know? I would yeah. say. I would say for myself too, like when I, for that solo in particular, um, you know, it just seemed what I kind of do when I write the solos is I'll just check out the song, kind of like hum a melody and try to like create more of like a story within the song, you know, something that's just kind of vibey um, and unexpected sometimes. I think, you know, just kind of, thinking what where do you want to take the listener you know and what would just be cool what do i want to hear what would be cool and what kind of is just melodic and i like at this point in my playing i think i'm trying to get more moody i guess my other my third i don't know who the third one would be it would be adam jones from a tool absolutely nice pull. yes you know there's a there's a less is more quality to your guitar solos I did with other bands I've played with. I can do the crazy stuff, but you know, yeah. I've kind of, again, just kind of moved away from that. It's as we always request player, you to dial it back too. Cause <laughs> I like simplicity. I'm a simple well, girl. So. Well, you know, it's just, it's like, it sounds really weird as a guitar player saying this, but I'm so tired of like the, um, the cliche guitar solo at this point, at least for my own playing, because um, I've been lucky and I've been able to do it and a lot of other different things, but it doesn't, at this point in my playing, it doesn't always seem to really serve the song. And as a listener, when, um, for example, uh, this other project that I'm in, we played with uh, Marty Friedman from Megadeth. It's his solo thing. And it's just like, his, he, he's, he's another influence of my amazing, amazing player. But I would say after the first song, of just watching his set, I was just done. Cause I think I heard play every single note on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really fast. And I was like, well, that was really cool. And the drummer's doing the same thing and they're just going crazy. And it's, they're amazing musicians and it's not, it's just really cool. But after that, you're just like, wow, I'm done. That one, so I'm, ready to, I'm ready to go home and call it a night. You know? No, so, I love the Nightmare solo. And to me, it kind of reminds me of the Foo Fighters, that song. Yeah, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. When I first heard it back, I was like, this song reminds me of the Foo Fighters. But it's just like, yeah. what you. everybody has a different idea in their head of what something kind of reminds yeah. them of. Yeah, yeah but, but I, I see that definitely. I hear some Foo Fighters in there for sure. That's cool. Yeah. I just I'm, love what I'll he did it. with the slide and like what he did on that. And it's really simple. Yeah. But that's the kind of shit I like, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. Like... Oh, yeah. So the last song I have to talk about this really quick before we move on stutter is such a nice contrast from the end of string, which is beautiful. And then you guys just, just fucking kick into stutter. I love the drums and the guitar, but I pay attention to backing vocals. And I, I wanted to ask you, um, Christina about, how the vocal work, especially at the end of that song with the layered vocals in the interplay with the guitar. Do you, is that something that you think about before you go into the studio or are you in the studio and saying, ah, this might sound good. Is that something that you plan or friend Kimsey? So yeah, Kimsey, the backing on that one is Kimsey. Oh, okay. You sang on our, uh, she sang on our first record and, um, she's a great friend and, um, she's an amazing, amazing vocalist. So, and it just happens that she lives around the corner from our, um, from our, um, engineer, Dave Klein. Like, she's just like, sort of like hopped in her car and drove like one minute around the corner and like showed up, tracked and then left. So oh, that's awesome. Well, she killed it. 
Yeah, she kills it. And uh, on the other, the backing vocals uh, on the two other songs, like, uh, was Casey Castile, who... Um, yeah, she did String and um, I See You. And she was the cover oh, artist. She designed our cover for the first record. Oh, is that so right? So she came back to the record and, like, actually laid down vocals. So it's it's like... The only one I did my own backings for is Vacation. We were actually going to use somebody else, and I was like, oh, I can actually find the harmony in this song. I'll do it. Because um, I did a lot of harmonies in my country band, but that's because I was being shown how to do them. So is everything okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're having a dog attack on the front porch. My dog's freaking out. No worries. So I wanted to touch on, you know, this is a Star Wars podcast. Um, and uh, so are, are you guys Star Wars fans? Yeah, I, I think we all are. Yeah? Yeah. I so, think, I think, so well, I don't know. I think there's different levels of Star Wars, like Ninja Belts. I think there's different Star Wars levels. <laughs> <laughs> so what level would you would you are are you like a, uh, a bl- boxers? So that oh, might be a higher level. Yeah. I was gonna say if this was live in a video, you could show them your, your my boxers. boxers. I'm not wearing any anymore. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I know um, just from having some conversations with Matt that we've had some uh, kind of geek out moments. Besides, oh, yeah. besides music, we've talked because you you have a background in. Uh, oh goodness, I'm going to forget now. It's 3D artist. You're a 3D artist. A 3D artist. Uh, I worked uh, for a long time. I used to do video games. I started in video games, hmm. and then uh, moved into feature film work. And that's where I met Cat at DreamWorks. You know, we worked on a bunch of projects together. Um, Madagascar, Madagascar 2. Oh, and that's what, yeah, the painting elephant or the washing elephant thing. <laughs> Wait, now you're painting elephants? What's going on yeah. over there, guys? That's uh, um, circus work. <laughs> uh, and it kind of feels like that at times. But um, I, I mean, I did that for over 20 years and kind of go back and forth to it nowadays. You know, um, I love animation, but um, I love music. So yeah, I'm a little bit torn. So what you want to focus on. So Matt also does a lot of the directing, I believe, for your videos, but a lot of other people's videos as well. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think with um, I think you saw some of my early stuff that I did for, for Moto Bunny. I directed both the Moto Bunny videos yes. and like an animated video. That, that thing I, is kick-ass, man. That thing yeah, is kick-ass. I love that video. I, I want to do another – I want to do a Hellflowers animated video like really badly. Um, so that's awesome that you're able to sort of marry your your love of film and art and art direction in, into the music and sort of you know create music videos out of that. That's that's just sounds like a perfect marriage. Yeah, you know it is, and the industry has changed so much that everything has kind of merged. Where um, you have to know how to do as much by yourself. You know, it's just the way it is now. Um, so it's really cool to have all these talents in house because you can create your videos, you can do all these different things. So yeah, I think the two, the film world and the music world are super similar. Yeah. yeah. And they've just yeah. merged. If you know how to do both, you're in really good shape. Awesome. So, so Kat, in addition to your, your time at, at DreamWorks, I also, yeah. I understand you also worked at ILM. I did. So, so that's of, of uh, huge interest to, to folks like us that are, you know, Star Wars nerds with uh, yeah. obviously industrial light and magic. Uh, been there I'm sorry. Have you guys been there before? No. Oh man. You should really no. go. Tell us so, about it. 
You may cry. You know, so I'll so I'll tell you how that whole thing went down. So um, as you guys may or may not know, a lot of the uh, the jobs in the film industry are contract based jobs, and I guess they always kind of historically have been that way. If you look way back in like the seven, for example, I ran into um, I'll get to the question, but no. I ran into um, at some party in the middle of nowhere. There's, we went to, uh, I don't even remember what the party was. It was this weird house in the middle of a field, right? <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of Literally in the middle of nowhere. And I'm, I'm just like, you know, everyone's wearing Hawaiian shirts. This is the most bizarre thing. And I'm sitting there at the table and there's this other guy. And we're just like just sitting there. And so we start talking. And I'm like, hey, so what do you do, right? And it turned out that this guy worked on one of my favorite films, which was uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, I love that movie. And I, my head exploded when he told me that. He's like, oh, I, I've done, uh, I've worked in the film industry. I said, oh, I work in the film industry too. What did you work on? And he's like, oh, well, my first one was this movie called The Thing. And I was like, holy <laughs> My God. I was like, wait a minute, he was an older dude, right? And so I'm like, okay, wait, the original? And he's like, no, John Carpenter's. And I was like, holy crap. Oh, my God. Fucking kidding me. <laughs> Not only did he work on that, but he worked on what I think is maybe the second coolest effect is when the head falls, when the guy's chest opens up. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the spider legs come oh, yeah, out. Yeah, sort of like peels open. It almost looks like it yeah. peels open. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this guy was instantly my hero. <laughs> but we were just talking and he said uh, the way that, that the jobs worked then is it was contract based work so you would get a call and it was very crew based so everybody worked together and they would say hey we're working on this film why don't you come down and work for four months on this thing so um, a lot of the jobs are contract based so anyway getting back to ILM it's kind of the same thing now except a lot of the work is done as you guys know in the computer but a lot of the jobs in the film industry are still contract based so you'll get a call to work for like four months or whatever and then you know you'll finish and you'll go away and they'll call you back you know so yeah. anyway this was my second stint at ILM and I get the phone call, and they're like, hey, you know, are you busy? We need some people to come out and work at ILM. And I was like, sure, you know, what's – just curious, what's the project? And they said uh, Transformers. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I guess that's kind of <laughs> – right? So, you know, I go there, and um, it's my first day – not my first day there at the studio, but the first day on that project there. And I'm just sitting at my desk. And the way it kind of works is uh, with these jobs is you'll just show up and at some point like a group of people will come huddle around your computer and like, you know, welcome you to the show. This is what you're working on. They'll tell you what you're going to be doing. So anyway, so I'm sitting there and, um, you know, no one's coming over. I'm like, what's going on? Right. And so <laughs> finally, like someone kind of like comes over and says, hey, so do you know what you're working on? And I said, yeah, I think I'm working on Transformers. And I go, oh, okay. And then this other person comes over and they say, oh, did anybody tell you? And I said, tell me what and what you're working on. And I said, no. And he said, oh, okay. So then he scurries off, right? I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then the other person comes over and says, oh, 
uh, did they tell you? And I said, tell me what? <laughs> what is going on? And they said, oh, you're working on uh, Rogue One. And I was like, what? I was like, holy crap. I thought I was working on like Transformers. So for me, you know, like everybody else, you know, I was the kid that was playing with action figures way too long, you know, <laughs> by my Gamorrean guards and my Millennium Falcons and everything. So for me to be uh, a part of that history is pretty awesome. You know, it's one of those things I think as an artist where it was like, you know, it would be cool, but you don't always get to pick and choose what you're going to work on. And a lot of it is just timing. Yeah. To be honest. So for the stars to align, pun intended. Um, and well, for, to, first of all, uh, I just, I want to put this out there. Uh, some of us still play with those action figures. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on, on rogue one, when you find this out, and first of all, I also like to point out that ILM sounds like a big tease, man. What's up. They just sit there and toy you around for a couple, you know, what, <laughs> yeah. a few hours or so. And I guess, most places are like that. They kind of do. What's really cool about that place is uh, when you walk down the halls, they have all the movie posters from all the films that they've done, and they have uh, props, props, and you know the life-size, you know, troopers and va- the different costumes Maybe from took a Vader. They have Yoda there, and uh, one of my favorite things. I mean, not to cut off, but when I walked into ILM, the new ILM, for the first time. Because I had been to the old studio, which was kind of a nothing. It was just kind of like desks and, yeah. you know. Is, it, it, is that the one, Matt? I'm sorry. Is that the one at the Presidio? Is, yeah. Presidio is the one where I went to, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, um, and I had been kind of around there a few times just visiting friends. But um, I got on this time I took the tour, which yeah. was ridiculous. And it's just, it was, you walk in and um, there's two 77, you know, stormtroopers. The actual, like, costumes from two seventies. Yeah. Just sitting there, like right by the, right by the can, you yeah. know. Like, <laughs> that's kind of where your where your picture, like you can post pictures up until that point, and then they, they said you can go around, and you can take pictures, but just don't post them. So you know you see oh, everything. Oh, supposed to post the pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oops. I have a bunch that I took. I, I think I've I've shown Scott, but like you know you see like there's like a case where you see the cross of Coronado from. Oh. Jones and, uh, and I think and, and I think that's the thing that's amazing is when you walk around when you walk down these halls you realize how much history is in this building you're like holy crap I've seen every single movie yeah I've seen all of the and not just seen them but they were such a huge part of everybody's childhood and everything growing up and we continue to watch them and then yeah. just they're right there. When I was working there, you know, I kind of, it's a very kind of open floor plan and everyone just kind of talks and works together. It's a very collaborative environment. Um, I glance over at the person sitting next to me and I said, Hey, I said, what was your first movie here? Like, what was your first project? And he said, Oh, let me think, let me think. And then he looks at me and says, Oh, it was return of the Jedi. was my first movie here. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I turn. You know, to the other side, what was your first project here? And they said, Willow was my first project here. That's incredible. So it's like you're surrounded by these people that have been just creating these movies, you know, and you feel it. It's such a really cool place. Wow. So many talent has come out of that area. So, 
I mean, be, Fincher. Uh, Fincher was like what third, yeah. some, third director, th- something to that effect. On it was like second AD on that's I, it, yeah. I, second AD on like Empire Strikes Back. That's so amazing, I'm, incredible. So I'm sitting there working like Rogue One. I'm like, well, God, I wonder what I'm going to paint. So then an X-wing fighter just comes. And says, oh, you need to paint these X-wing fighters. You need to paint the. I'm just like painting, right? I'm just like. Holy shit! I'm painting an X-wing fighter. <laughs> that's insane. Like I, I mean it that you know that is that's crazy. How, how do you know? <laughs> I'm kind of speechless right now, which yeah. is rare. How do you show up and you're just working on stuff and you don't realize it's Star Wars? Is it that you like they gave you some sort of project to get started before you realize before they changed it up on you? It was just timing. It was timing. They were in a the deadline was coming up. And okay. They just, and so, and this happens a lot. You know, you get moved around a lot. Um, the P, when you're at ILM, you work on a lot of different projects. So you could be on a certain I project see. for a couple weeks or whatever. But um, when I got there, they were just like, "Hey, we need people, you know, to get, help get this finished, to help get the project finished." So did you ever again, feel? Did you ever feel intimidated at all? Like, you know, there's so looking through the catalog, the visual effects catalog of ILM is like a yeah. who's who in the the best movies that have come out of Hollywood in the last two, three decades. Uh, and you're, you're sitting there working on star Wars. Was there ever a moment when you just kind of like swallowed hard and go, you know, this is freaking me out a little bit or how, how did you, how did you handle it? Hey, you know, it was weird. You, well, and you know, I think from doing it for so long, you're like, okay. And you just start painting it. Then I would kind of stop for a minute and like pinch myself and go, Holy crap. I'm painting an X-Wing fighter. <laughs> Wow. This is bizarre. And then what else? And then uh, Star, Star Destroyer. Destroyer. You know, the next thing was Star Destroyer stuff and Man. X-Wing fighters and Y-Wings. I do have and, a, a uh, little bit of a brag about Cat about what what he did. What did I do? What you did paint oh. was at the end of Rogue One oh, when wow. Vader steps out onto the oh. – to chasing the blockade runner. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, the whole interior of the Star Destroyer, that like a bunch of that was Cat. And yeah. like, wow. like you know, sitting in the bay, and he told me that I guess, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I went back and sort of like watched that scene in Rogue One. I'm like, I'm just a, a little bit of swelling of pride <laughs> that I, oh, that was my homie. So oh, yeah, that man. is awesome. Well, but, you, you did such a great job with that. I mean, it looks amazing. And one of the greatest scenes in Rogue One is that whole that? end sequence. Yeah. That was the first time, you know, I've always imagined. Here's another thing, too. When I was making it, they have daily, so you can go and you can kind of see the progress. I would refuse to go to dailies because I didn't want to spoil the oh, film because you see it out of context. So you'll see the ending, then the middle, and the beginning. So yeah. I like not to know anything about it. So when I saw the movie... When I went to the crew screening and I saw the film, I knew the stuff I had painted and kind of how it was going to be used. But um, I didn't really know the story, and I did that on purpose. So when I saw – and I'm so glad I did because when I saw the Vader stuff at the end, I had no idea that that was coming. And so I got to see it fresh. You know, some of the actors, the principal actors didn't know it was coming either. I don't know if you've heard this, but we had a story about Riz Ahmed who who shared that – uh, none of the principal actors knew that scene was in there either until they saw their first viewing of the whole movie. It's the first because you always hear and you, it's always insinuated how scary Vader is, like how terrifying he is and how much of a badass. And you kind of get glimpses of it throughout the whole series. But when I saw this, I was like, 
Yeah. I wanted to like scream. I remember yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not out of terror, but out of joy because I was like, holy crap, this is the Vader that I've always envisioned. Yeah. It's the kick ass Vader. I mean, you would seen bits of it. Yeah. You would seen like, like you said, like throughout the movies, um, and theatrical films, like you would seen little things. Yeah. If you watch like say clone wars or if you watch rebels, then you see more like, yeah. okay, you know, this is the first time you ever saw him be that vicious and that terrifying. Yes. In a theatrical film. I mean, and that was, that was amazing. So he yeah. was like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was it was a horror film. It was, it was a horror film, and you see that right? It's just dark, and then you see the lightsaber come out. And when I saw that, I was like, "Holy crap! They're gonna they're gonna take it to this place!" And right. oh my god, yeah. that was the like. It was, man, you, you, you mentioned it's a horror film. I love the moment where it transitions. It feels like the original '79 Aliens, where yeah, it's a sci-fi yeah. movie. But my yeah. God, it's terrifying. Like you're, yes. you are being exactly. chased down a hallway, like you know, by yeah. an unstoppable force that's just going to destroy you. That and there's no escape. There, I mean, there's you know, which seems like there's no escape. So I, I thought that scene was genius. Um, yeah, yeah. We we caught um, Rogue One opening night. Um, I was working a, a job late, and then I get a call from Christina. And um, I was that, playing a solo acoustic show, and me and his friend were there, and we're like, "Let's go tonight at midnight. Let's see if Matt's down." <laughs> it was, uh, it Matt was, was like, "Hell yeah, I'm down." Yeah, like, <laughs> don't tell me with a good time. And then so like we get to the theater, and we sit down in the chair. I think it was like a one a.m., one thirty a.m. show, and so me and my buddy Paul Springer just sitting there like. Oh, this is gonna be great and like within like I think a half hour 45 minutes Christine was out like she was out <laughs> she was like don't worry oh, we did see I it had again. to go back we got free tickets to go back because it actually didn't start at midnight yeah. it waited mm. forever it was like an hour later I had just played a show I had worked all day on top of that I had to work the next day so let's be very specific she's a little about defensive this. about it and <laughs> I did, we did get free tickets to come back because it was there there was like some kind of malfunction and it took even longer and I have a hard time staying up that I long. have to say oh, that yeah. I would not have fallen asleep yeah I I, <laughs> I, I was I, I had to say because I was I just got finished working a job like a super physical job so I was like really tired I was like oh god just beat and then um, I had a hard time with him because the movie starts out very slow. It does. You know, it's yeah. very, it's sort of a slow burn in the beginning. Um, then it picks up. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about all the offshoot films yeah. that are coming so out I have, on Solo, I think. It's, I have to add, so I saw it at the cruise screening, but to to see it went in my, in my uh, what I think is the right way, we actually went and saw it at the drive-in. Oh, nice. oh that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, Kat, did you did you get a screen credit for for your work on on the movie? I did. Oh, that, that's so cool. Yeah, that was amazing seeing your name on there. And again, it's just being a part of that that history. Yeah, you know? man, to have your name in that blue font. I mean, that's forever yeah. would be forever my you know screensaver. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was cool, and the whole project was just like that. It was amazing, just coming in and like, gosh, you know, I'm working on Star Wars. This is just so. Okay, I just so, got to say, how cool is it that we have a kick-ass rock and roll band talking about Star Wars? This is awesome. This is great stuff <laughs> you right guys here. Are great. 
What was one, if you guys want more details, well, one of the things that was really cool, so you go in and when you're doing this, um, so what I do is, you know, I'll paint the surfaces and then describe those surfaces in the computer, like is it metal, is it wood, mm. is it wet, is it shiny, you know, so you'll create this like uh, shader network, so to speak, to, to, to again, to, I guess to describe the surface, it's kind of like, I guess what the way I like to explain it to people that have no, you know, um, background or don't really understand it. it's like if you went to the store and bought a toy car like a model kit you know when you put the model kit together and it's just gray right and then you have to paint it and then you like oh the tires are going to look wet or you know i'm going to make it look rusty or whatever so you paint your model kit that way when when you're working at these places it's a very similar type of thing where the model department will create a model and so it'll come to you gray and then in the computer, you have to paint it. You know, what does it look like? And a lot of times you'll get, you know, different types of reference for, for these things and how they're supposed to look. So one of the cool things, and, I, you know, I didn't even realize this about Star Wars, um, was how stylized the movie is. And what I mean by that is if you really look around the ships and stuff, there's no, like, caution or danger or any types of decals on anything, mm -hmm. you know? And I never, it never really dawned on me, you know, that that stuff wasn't there till you start painting it. And one of the things you might do as a painter, just to add a sense of realism to something, is you might put on like these decals or these different things just to bring something to life. So I started doing that and I said, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right. And I went back and I looked at the reference and I noticed there's no, there's none of the mm. stuff is there. Mm. It's just, you know, there's no signs, there's no caution markers, there's no like electrical bolts over panels. Yeah. But, you know, there's none of that stuff exists. It sort of reminds me of like when I was a kid and building like these G.I. Joe, um, you know, like things. Yeah. Like the, Dioramas I had the, or... well, yeah. no, just the, you know, when you would just get a G.I. Joe, like I got that F-14, whatever. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it had all the stickers that you would like. That was part of the process. You get it, right, and like right. you just put the stick. You had a little peel thing. And you put like no step, and you know caution, oh, yeah. or yeah. like you know exactly. like fighter pilot ace or whatever. Like, yeah, that was kind of the similar thing. Where I was well, now that you mentioned that, I'm like, I, yeah, it's, it's, none of that stuff is there. Yeah, there's. I, I've noticed that on some a couple of things, you'll see some of the, like the what is the star the the writing? It's yeah. called something. Uh, or a Arbesh. Arbesh. And you'll see some of it. Occasionally, like, you'll get that. Occasionally, you'll see it around like a cockpit. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Like by a window, like on an X-wing. Sometimes, it's but not almost like an Easter egg they throw in. Just yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. One of the other things that was really cool is so you start painting an X-wing fighter, you start painting a Star Destroyer. You know, you're like, oh, it's kind of metal. So you start trying to describe that surface, but. What's interesting about uh, the Star Wars stuff is that they're actually, in these newer films, referencing the old maquettes and old models that they actually used in the first couple of movies. So those models were not made out of metal. Those models were made out of, you know, plastic, uh, plastic yeah, plastic wood, paper in some cases. So when you're painting the stuff, you want it to kind of look like metal, but at the same time, it's like this hybrid thing that you're creating because you want it to look like those old models that were used in the first couple of films, which, like Matt just said, wore wood and paper, cardboard, 
you know, right. so it's this whole, like, when you start working on that stuff, you realize that it's really stylized, and there's a lot of, um, again, I just think they're being true to the history, and you can, I think you get that, like, mm-hmm. when you saw, when there's I saw the last them. couple of films, I was just like, wow, you yeah, know, they're, they're really, yeah. like the that. ships feel like the, the real ships, you know? Mm-hmm. I like the texture. Of, yeah. I like the texture of the films. Like especially Rogue One, I thought I thought I thought Rogue One did a better job at capturing the texture than say Force Awakens did. Uh, I don't know why that was. Maybe that was just style. I don't know if that was intended, but um, the grittiness of it like yeah. really carried through, and it felt it felt like a Star Wars movie, but it wasn't a Star Wars movie, you yeah. know, or vice versa. Like, have you had you know. the opportunity to watch the end of Rogue One? Uh, immediately before the beginning of episode four yeah, I actually the saw, continuity i saw that cut that was online and how it how it sort of butted up a little bit yeah um to me it felt like there was just a chunk missing there was like a, a huge chunk because that thing s- scoots off into whatever hyperspace and then they're just sitting there yeah and then the next thing you see is them like back to back well but so i mean in terms of the look it's like that they yeah. really did a great job matching the textures and oh, the okay. look from and they, Rogue was, one to four yeah. Well, I mean, I, you, we did, that's what we did. I mean, we looked at everything and said, you know, we want these ships to look true to how they're supposed to feel. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I remember looking at that stuff, X-Wing fighters and, you know, TIE fighters and Star Destroyer reference at my desk, you know, and sitting there with what I was doing and matching it, the look and feel to, you know, to the reference. Yeah. Pretty well. You did a you did a fantastic job. How exciting! Wow, that thank you so much for sharing that. That's oh, for sure. that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I have one more question about ILM, if you don't mind. I'm curious yeah. about the the sort of the culture there. Um, it seems like you're surrounded. I mean, I imagine you would be surrounded by all these super creative people doing these, you know, projects that are obviously going to be. And you know, if you're working on something that's coming out of ILM, it's 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 going to be great. So uh-huh. how did you feel about working there? Was it, was it like cool to just be around that environment? Um, uh, would you uh, work there again? Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, it was an honor working there. It really was. Again, um, like I said, you know, you just kind of ask around and you realize that you're, you're just working with these people that have worked on Jedi and Willow and down the hall is one of the co-creators of Photoshop, you know, it's just <sighs> Yeah. You're in a place where just so much um, stuff, cool stuff has been done that that it just um, it just has a really cool vibe to it. You know, I mean, again, I never would have thought, you know, as a kid playing with my action figures in the dirt, my Star Wars action figures in the dirt, that one day I'd be painting an X-Wing fighter for one of the Star Wars movies coming out. You I and J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? just you living the dream. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, so, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, you wake up every day and you're like, God, this is just, am I really doing this? This is insane. I do have another cat brag, though. What? Like, for what cat is, and, and who cat is currently working with. I don't know talk about Tippett. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's working with Phil Tippett. He's, yeah. working with, he's working at Tippett now. Yeah. So, uh, so he gets to work with Phil Tippett, you know, and I mean Tippett, Tippett, you know, did the ad ads, you know. Oh he, yeah. You know, oh yeah. 
Monkeys and Cat's been working there actually before DreamWorks Cat was at. Yeah, I actually got my start. I was a painter. I was a musician. I was just a painter, like real painting. And a friend called me up and said, hey, there's this place in Berkeley that's looking for painters. Would you be interested? And I was like, sure. I need stuff. You know, I was doing fine art type stuff, but I was like, I have something for me paint i mean i guess i had no idea you know so i kind of i kind of I, I'm serious. I mean i kind of just fell into it so when i first started i mean i was working side by side with uh bill tippett and and uh, craig hayes of who was uh, phil tippett's right hand man for a really long time and uh actually got trained by them and you know it was a really you know and I just, it was one of those things where I kind of knew who they were, you know. Um, but what was cool about it is I got a more traditional uh, upbringing in the visual effects world. And I got to see, I got that history was put on me and I learned about it. And I learned how things were done in the 70s and the 60s and and again, Phil was kind of my hero. One of my favorite movies, one of my favorite, favorite movies growing up as a kid was Piranha. <laughs> I remember that film. Uh, Corman, right? Is that Roger Corman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Phil Tippett at that time was the blood mixer for Piranha. <laughs> awesome. So he was creating blood, buckets of blood for that. And he has, like, it's really, like, deteriorated, but one of the maquettes from Piranha sits. walking through it. Out of all the stuff that's in there, all the Star Wars stuff, I, I'm like, oh, my God, there's a Piranha. I'm like, did you work? He's like, yeah, I was the blood mixer for, for Piranha. So... Talk about a pool of talent right there. Uh, not yeah. just Roger Corman, but uh, Piranha 2 was also the starting point for uh, James Cameron. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want I to touch on that real quick, and I don't mean to interrupt, but you talk no, no. about uh, surrounding yourself, or Steve, you mentioned this, with talented people. And not just Kat in the industry that you're in uh, with ILM and, and Matt also with DreamWorks and, and uh, the 3D work that you've done, but the fact that your band alone, I mean the talent in your band – you're just surrounding talent all the time everything you do music uh obviously the star wars connection here but um just everything that you guys are involved in seems to be just creative talented people yeah i i I think we're very fortunate to to have this you know you know this kind of little family unit that everybody's everybody kind of has their own thing going on as far as like this is what i do on the side this is you know this is kind of my little project but it's all kind of art related you know I, it is oh i'm sorry matt i didn't mean to interrupt oh, no, no. i was no, gonna no. say uh christina i just gotta ask you uh at, at some point i know you guys focus on the 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 live music uh the the recording and, and all that stuff do you ever have to stop this geek out moment do these guys actually do this while you guys are doing the music Sometimes, yeah. but I don't know if it's about this kind of stuff, but just in general, they get sidetracked for I sure. Think and Mar- like, let's get back to the song. Uh, Mar- <laughs> our drummer um, and Cat have have completely bonded over their yeah. their love of horror. Yeah, like vintage horror, horror movies. Like, like they love it. Yeah. Both of them. I mean, and, I was I was raised. Yeah, and and 
not just necessarily the gore stuff, but I'm talking about like Creature from the Black Lagoon, oh, all time favorite classics. Right. Yeah, uh, grew up on that, and then kind of moved into like the gore stuff. You know, the Kruger and it, huge horror fan, and so is Mark. Yeah, like oh, we're awesome. kept little pins and stuff, like little horror. He's got a little you know, Dracula pin. After the show, sometimes <laughs> he'll come up and whisper some of Jack Nicholson's lines from The Shining into my. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's like their own little weird code. Whatever. <laughs> Sometimes I'll answer them back in like another, you know, from another movie, and be like, "Oh, you know, yeah, so. stepping up the game a little bit." Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I and I think you know that's a really interesting thing though that you brought up is I it's chemistry is really important in a band um, because you are with everybody in really confined spaces all the time, you know? And I think that it's cool to have a natural um, thing. And what I mean by that is in other projects, sometimes you, you get together with people and as you grow as a unit, you start to discover what those things are that you have in common or you create those things, right? It, with this band, which is amazing, is it's all natural. And from day one, you know, when I get the call from Matt, you know, to come out and play. And, you know, I meet Mark for the first time. I don't know this guy. We're in this room. From day one, it was like instant chemistry. And it just felt right, mm -hmm. you know. And as we've grown over the year you're I'm still discovering things that we have in common, but there are things that we just have in common. It's not things like, Oh, we need to find something to make us bond or we need to find something, a common ground. It's just there, yeah. you know? And I think again, getting, going back to the EP, I think when you hear that, you hear it, at least I do. I hear that on the EP. I hear that chemistry and I hear that realness, which I think is really rare. Absolutely. That's yeah. that's not something that you can try to produce in the studio. You can't produce chemistry. It's either there or it's not. It's and it really comes through in your music and uh, it's come through today. And guys, we're we're really over time. I appreciate you taking oh, so much cool. time. Thanks so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. We could talk for another hour, I think. Uh, and we would love to have you back to talk about some of this other stuff if you, if you guys are willing. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. Christina, Matt, Kat from the Hellflowers, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for watching. The Hellflowers. Woo. Wow. They were so cool, man. They they were so fun to talk to before and after and during the interview. They were awesome. Yeah, they were a blast, Steve. I had a great time talking with them. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I got a chance to check out some of their music on uh, – I, I listened to a lot of stuff on Spotify. Um, so I checked out some of their stuff on Spotify earlier today when I heard that this interview was something that was going to be happening. And, yeah, that band is, is super tight. Um, I can't wait to check them out. Um, and, I, and I don't know if I'm going to make this next show, but I highly encourage everybody to uh, get out to their next show. And I believe, where did they say it was? The Hi-Hat Theater? Is that where they said it was? Yeah, June 16th at the Hi-Hat Theater. And uh, they might be having a few other shows coming up. I'll look that up and post that on the website, too. So. See, I see on their Facebook page. So June 16th, the hi-hat is uh, they're playing. And then the next night, the 17th, 
They're making the trip out to Phoenix, Arizona. So all of our Phoenix listeners, get out there, see the Hellflowers. You won't be disappointed. Oh, they are. They're they're a super fun band. You got a chance to listen to them a little bit, Greg? I did. I did. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Scott had warned me that they were that they had some connection with Star Wars and that Cat had worked on some project, but I didn't know the details. I loved his story about working at ILM and he's at the computer and people are coming over. Do you know what you're going to work on? Do you know what you're going to work on? And he has no clue. And then somebody tells me you're working on Rogue One. Yeah. I mean, I like that they just, it it seems like some kind of like, like almost like hazing that they, that they said, do you know what you're working on? He's like, no. And then they just walk off completely. They give him the transformers and walk off. You're going to be painting Bumblebee, you know, it's a very cruel initiation ritual, but I approve. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> such such a such a fun band and uh, really really cool people. They were seriously they were like before just the banter before they're just really down to earth and willing to just share and um, really really cool. I I truly want to have them on the show again. It would be nice to have one of them on um, on the live show to have them be sort of a co-host one day. Oh hey that'd be fun. We'll talk to we'll talk to them see what they what they think about that. Yeah that would be great. Hey guys, uh, we are going to take a little pause and uh, honor our sponsor for tonight's show, and that is Audible.com. Audible.com has been a longtime sponsor of the Wretched Eye podcast. We're thrilled to be affiliated with them as uh, as they do a great, great job with their service. And uh, actually, this week, as in every week, for, for you... The listeners of the Wretched Hive podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check it out. And uh, there are over 250 Star Wars titles available uh, on Audible. And I am uh, personally a subscriber for Audible. I ride the train to work every day, and it certainly makes my train ride go by quick more more quickly than it would otherwise and i i you know i don't get a lot of time to read scott i don't know if you do but uh you know personal reading time like uh leisure reading not a lot not a lot anymore steve yeah and it's 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 really nice you know i i lay down and at night and i read like one page and i'm ready to go to sleep but so on the train i i end up listening to audible um books and it's it's a it's a great way to get through novels in a couple of weeks and and uh you know, it's just a great, great service. It's very affordable, and the quality is very, very good. And uh, right now, if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash hive, again, that's audibletrial forward slash hive, you can get a free audiobook download, and uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll pay for that audiobook download. We'll, the Wretched Hive will pick it up for what? you. What? Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, you're paying for it. I ain't paying for it. I have Greg's credit card. <laughs> How'd you get that, man? Let's let's go shopping. Audibletrial.com forward slash hive for your free audiobook download. Great. Check it out. All right, guys. Book of the oh, week. No. Book of the week? No, book of the week? No, you know what? We're having technical difficulties tonight. We're gonna, we, we don't have a book of the week. Sorry, sorry, Greg. We just had we just had a fabulous interview segment that was pre-recorded. I'm sorry to tell you, it was not recorded live. Yeah. You're telling me now there's audible difficulties? Yeah, I don't accept this, Steve Baldwin. I don't accept this at all. There's audible so audio difficulties. Now, for our listeners' pleasure, my own personal rendition of War and Peace. 
Page one. <laughs> Chapter one. <laughs> I had right, the volume turned down. Hold on. Here we go. Uh, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, uh, here it is. What is going on? Dang it. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, Wait for well. it. This, this is really going to pay off here in a minute. It's really going to pay and off here. We have to start the show over. Sorry. We're having technical difficulties. I don't know what is. <laughs> <But> if, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. From ABC News World Headquarters, this is ABC World News Tonight. No, it's not. It's Star Wars news with the Wretched Hive. So be it. We've got tons of news to cover tonight. We're just going to ignore that little awkward last segment. We're going to dive right into the news. Nothing awkward about it at all, Steve. Gold. Solid podcast gold. Uh, Wow, we have some exciting news tonight. And uh, first up, first up, we're going to dive right into... I was going to... I'm going to save that one. I know you want to get to that one, Scott. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. Because the Wretched Hive... uh, well, we recently had an opportunity to visit uh, the the Scum and Villainy Cantina in beautiful Hollywood, California. And uh, we actually put out a mini episode Very on nice. the on our, our visit to the Scum and Villainy Cantina. I encourage you guys to check it out. If you only download the uh, Wretched Hive proper sort of episodic shows... Encourage you to go back and pull down the mini episodes we have. We have seven of them of them up now, and uh, the last one was our visit to the Wretched Hive Cantina. Uh, sorry, the Scum and Villainy Cantina. I, you know, we're going to rename we, it. Yeah, let's rename Wretched, Wretched Hive. Hive. Let's get the Wretched Hive podcast. They are the Scum and Villainy Cantina. This show tonight <laughs> is the Wretched Hive Cantina. It feels like, but um, so uh. I'm We're reading the Scum and Villainy podcast. We're not sure. That's right. I'm reading on foodandwine.com. And uh, this is uh, a nice little story about the Star Wars themed pop up bar called Scum and Villainy Cantina. Will be open until June 30th. So if you're in LA, you haven't visited Scum and Villainy Cantina, you only have a few weeks left. Um, and according to, again, to foodandwine.com, still riding your excitement from the last Star Wars movie or bursting with anticipation for the upcoming sequels, the pop-up bar in Hollywood called the Scum and Villain Cantina back again after a successful run last summer has you covered. And I think we can vouch for that fact. The, the uh, Scum and Villain Cantina was a lot of fun. We had a great night and uh, pulled down that that uh, seventh mini episode we did on the Scum and Villainy Cantina. You can experience it with us, the hosts of the Wretched Hive. It was a great time, and uh, a lot of fun was had. We had uh, the Wretched Wives who were with us, and we just had a blast. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, man, I, I, I had so much fun. I was running around taking pictures like a madman that night, um, but I think everyone was having a great time, and the drinks were great. Um Definitely order what? Uh, what was the strong one, guys? It was the. I have a I've bad, got a bad, bad feeling. feeling. Got a bad feeling about this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're into tequila, it's a good drink. 
Although, yeah. as we found out from Mrs. Baldwin, you can order it. Uh, they'll make it with vodka if you don't like the tequila. So just order order that order that one, and and it'll do it. I uh, I sampled blue. I I think I sampled all of them actually, but I think I stuck with mostly with the blue milk. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good drink. I must say though, um, had a great time. It was great to see my fellow Hyvians out in force that night, along with all of our uh, respective spouses and whatnot. Uh, but I just want to give a special shout out and kudos. To Mr. Steve Baldwin, the hardest working man in podcasting, who interviewed <laughs> oh probably every goddamn person in that place, as well as the janitor in the bathroom. And the guy, as he's taking a shit in the bathroom as well, he's just sitting there with the microphone underneath the stall. Tell me, what do you got going on in who here right now? Who does number two work for? You know, that was and, a fun night. I think I did about 25 interviews. Um, oh, my and God. And you only annoyed, yeah. I think, 24 of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you were there to ruin their goodies. Well, and, and a lot of them are, are uh, published on that uh, on the episodes, uh, episode 7 of the mini podcast that we released last week. It was a lot of fun. I, I have to apologize for some. The sound quality was pretty bad because it was so loud in there but um yeah thanks a lot for that greg it was that was a fun night that was a really fun night you know in all seriousness i'm glad you got to talk to those people and i wish that a lot more of that audio would have turned out because i swear to god every person i met in that place was fun and cool so oh yeah um, yeah it was i I wish everybody would have gotten a chance to uh to uh, to, to be heard on the, on the mini cast because I, I think you can tell that the, there is, there's a lot of enthusiasm that was there and it was just, it was a great group that was out that night and, uh, and many thanks to them and many thanks to the, uh, scum and vil- the folks at scum and villainy for, uh, putting it all together. Cause it was, a, it was a fun, fun night. Now, I didn't get a lot of, uh, names from, uh, the people. We did have a lot of conversations with them. Steve, obviously, uh, Greg, like you mentioned, Steve was the hardest working man, not just in podcasts, but seriously show business. It was insane. <laughs> I've never seen a guy jump around, pop up with a microphone in your face. TMZ, you're weak compared to this man, I'm telling you. Uh, But I am going to give a special shout-out to the one person and their group. uh, was I believe her name was Katrina Jensen and her three other friends. Uh, Really nice people. Uh, Thank you for uh, just putting up with us and uh, (laughs) not throwing your blue milk in our face. (laughs) (laughs) And you have had some blue milk thrown in your face, I'm sure. Oh, many times. Yeah, It's oh. a fun thing. Actually, uh, one other thing. I, I do have to say one more thing. Sorry, Dave. It was really cool to hang out with the entire hive. Yeah. It was great to have all five of us in the room together, and it was it was a blast. Yeah, it doesn't happen a lot, right? I mean, we're, we're on, the, on the air for, right. you know, with each other a couple times a month. But yeah. uh, for all of us to be in the same room and the Wretched Wives, that was, that was really fun. Was really enjoyed that. Yeah. I will say that I found four really cool, like-minded folks that I really enjoyed hanging out with, and they were not the Hive members. Uh, wow. Oh, was that the uh, Adidas Troopers? Those are the Adidas Troopers. Those guys were really, really cool. Those guys were but really I'm, cool. But I joke, you guys were a lot of fun. No, those, Adidas, those Adidas Troopers, uh, we did. They, they are featured in, the, uh, in last week's episode that was released. And there's there's many. I I would say I I maybe only couldn't air maybe one or two of those episodes or the uh, interviews. Yeah. Uh. So there's there's a lot of content there. Check it out. Released last week, uh, mini episode number seven, Scum and Villainy Cantina. Uh, guaranteed good listen. Uh. Oh, one other thing. There's yep. tons of photos. If you want to come uh, check them out, stop by the Facebook page. 
find the link on the Wretched Hive podcast Facebook page. You'll have a blast. We're up there making crazy faces, except Nico, uh, millennial, Mr. Millennial Falcon himself, with his mask on, I think, in a few shots. But. Wore, the, wore the Stormtrooper bucket with the suit. That's right. Styling that night. Yes. I, I think I looked damn good that night. You did, sir. Actually, Pretty miss, dapper. <clears throat> Pretty dapper. The Mrs. Uh, miss Alana looked fantastic that night in the, uh, in the homemade X-Wing uh, pilot outfit as well. That was pretty good, right? That yeah. was awesome. I, th- yeah. I think I, I missed the memo her. that night about uh, costumes. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> I think you wore the traditional Hawaiian shirt that night. I did, with the oh. Star Wars shirt. I did have Oh, it was the Star Wars. All right, yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. you got to pass. Yeah. All right. Oh, I passed up an opportunity to wear my Star Wars Hawaiian shirt is what I did, actually, didn't I? I thought <sighs> Greg would be wearing that, but no. Here. That would have been perfect opportunity, but no, I had to break out the. Uh, even though I got more of the Jedi look going, I had to bust out the Han Solo suit. Yeah. I can't wait for your Jedi robes. But will it have Gregory. a cape? Mm. Well, it's going to be a whole robe. So no cape, it's just a robe. And my a hood and the gi. My cape is going to be better than your cape, Dave. I think your cape is not going to be better than my cape. <laughs> I'm you thinking... can't even put your own cape on, Dave. <laughs> it's true, he can't. I- I'm thinking about hiring a one uh, Carl Lent to uh, to make me a Lando costume. Oh, she'll do it. Lando. You're gonna be a she'll Lando. She'll do it. Yeah. Oh man, I, big I, huge Afro wig. That this, would be awesome. This sounds like it's gonna go to dangerous territory, <laughs> guys. Stop him now while he's ahead. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's there's nothing that's more popular right now than a white guy running around in blackface. So. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, well, talking about politics, let's jump right in. Uh, there, you know, Disney CEO Bob Iger made the news this the chairman week. Chairman and guys. chief executive officer of the Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger. Here we. go. That's right. Bob Iger. Go ahead, Part of my week I look forward to for so long, hearing (laughs) what the fuck Bob Iger's been dicking around with now. Bob Iger actually uh, walked away from being part of President Trump's Business Advisory Council in protest of the president's decision to withdraw from the Paris climate deal. And this is uh, this is being reported on uh, CNN.com, money.cnn.com reports uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger said he will step down from Trump's Business Advisory Council, protesting the president's decision to withdraw from the Paris climate deal. Quote, protecting our planet and driving economic growth are critical to our future and they aren't mutually exclusive, Iger said in a statement. I deeply disagree with the decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. And uh, later he posted on Twitter, this is uh, at Robert Iger, as a matter of principle, I've resigned from the President's Council over the hashtag Paris Agreement withdrawal. And a few hours later, or earlier, excuse me, Tesla CEO Elon Musk did the same. He quit the president's advisory panel as well, <clears throat> saying, quote, climate change is real. Leaving Paris is not good for America or the world. So uh, Disney chairman, CEO Bob Iger, 
taking a stand against uh, the, pres the president's decision. And, and they're not alone. Lots of people felt the same way. We at the Wretched Hive are not a political podcast, although I think you can tell fairly easily what side of the fence most of us sit on. <laughs> no, stop it. Uh, but I have friends and close friends on both sides of the fence. Yeah. And, and while I understand their arguments as they feel that the United States contributes too much money, too many resources compared to what we get back, I don't personally, I don't think that's the point of the agreement. And I think that it is taking a step backwards. And so I applaud these guys for, uh, making their feelings known, and for standing up for their principles. So, good job, Bob Iger. I'm super proud of you. I am not going to snore at your speech this week. Okay, guys, I'd like to make a special announcement on the show tonight. Mm. Um, I, along with Bob Iger and Elon Musk, am leaving mm. the Special Advisory Council of the President because I don't agree <laughs> also. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not in that one. I'm sorry. That's, that's a different council. I'm in a different council altogether. Terribly sorry. You're on the Jedi Council. I'm on the Jedi Council. It's close, and but I, not the same. That's a tough one. I might be leaving that one as well, but we'll talk about that later. Well, you know, when somebody like Bob Iger and Elon Musk on the same day uh, make this announcement, it's a big deal. I mean, this, this is taking a stand, and uh, whether or not you agree with the politics of the current administration, you have to admire, uh, you know, business professionals, you know, taking a stand and uh, sticking to what they believe in. And this is, I imagine it's a pretty big deal in your organization if you are appointed to be on the president's council for anything. Yeah. And for them to take a stand against uh, what they believe to be wrong is, um, you know, it, it, it's a it, it's a courageous move. So so good on them for for sticking to their principles and doing what they think is right. Kudos it, to them. Next, we'll bag on you next time. Yeah, no, it it, it really is. And I know uh, Elon Musk in particular. He took a lot of heat after Trump was elected and after Trump was inaugurated. Uh, a lot of activist folk were pressuring, you know, the big name celebrity business folks to disassociate themselves entirely from our elected president, Mr. Trump. And Musk said at the time, if I recall correctly, something to the effect of, you know, I want to stay in this position so that I can be a voice to try and help influence this individual with whom I obviously have a lot of disagreements. But if I can talk to him and he will listen to me, then isn't that a good thing? And I thought that was a very mature position to take at the time but as climate change is a real thing and it is a big deal and the president has proven unwilling to listen i i absolutely applaud musk and Iger and everybody saying you know if you're not even going to listen to us then what are we doing here we're clearly just window dressing for you and uh with trump's son eric trump calling uh, all of the president's critics less than people in an interview today, I have to say, you know, I am very proud to stand with uh, people who are less than people like Elon Musk and Bob Iger. Yeah, here, like, here. you know, the dialogue is what's most important among both parties. And obstructing of anything is only going to be bad for this country and, and, and lead to more divisiveness. 
So there was plenty of obstruction going on uh, the past eight years under Obama. There's been plenty of obstruction going on so far under Trump, and nobody is willing to come to the table, and that's that's got to change. So everybody's got to stop with the name calling, stop with the bullshit, and let's just get let's just get it going. There you go. There you go. Here you go. Agree. So, uh, talking about stopping with the bullshit, a couple of uh, interesting stories. Um, a little bit uh, disheartening here with uh, this story reported on uh, many news outlets. I'm, I'm reading from NewYorkDailyNews.com, NY Daily News. Star Wars memorabilia worth $200,000 stolen from Rancho Obi-Wan. And uh, this was widely reported. Now, the Wretched Hive actually are uh, supporters of Rancho Obi-Wan. And we received an email earlier this week from Rancho Obi-Wan. And if I can find it here, I'm going to pull it up. Was it asking for Scott's whereabouts on certain days? (laughs) Actually, Scott, while I look for this email, would you mind... uh, so this is the Excuse York- me while I whip this out. <laughs> what, am I, what, what am I doing here? Reading, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Read, read through that. Uh, all right, uh, just, just hold, hold this. <laughs> <laughs> this is Scott's. Uh, this is Scott's audition for uh, uh, fill-in host for the Wretched Hive. So Scott, take it away. Yeah, I'll take it away, Steve. Uh, in Star Wars Episode Four, Obi Wan Kenobi said, "In my experience, there is no such thing as luck." Steve Sansweet thinks differently. Sansweet, the owner of the largest privately owned collection of Star Wars memorabilia, uh, I'm going to argue that he obviously hasn't been to my garage. Um, you know what? That's a great point. I, I I've had seen to, your garage. I had to throw that in there. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, memorabilia in the world said Monday he feels lucky he found out about the theft of $200,000 worth of prized vintage action figures from his California nonprofit museum before it was too late. About 120 pieces were stolen between 2015 and 2016 by a friend who stayed at the compound four times during that period. Thanks, Scott. And I, I've got an email. So, so we received an email from Ann Newman, who is... Um, Newman. Newman. <laughs> who works with, works with Sansuite. Uh, there at Rancho Obi-Wan. And uh, the email reads, Dear fellow Star Wars fans and collectors, I need to share some distressing news with you because I need your help. In February, we at Rancho, o- Rancho Obi-Wan were found out that we were a victim of a major theft that surreptitiously took place over many months in late 2015 and 16. Uh, and it gives details. I'm going to skip over some of the story here. Um says, the theft came to light after Philip Wise, a good friend, major collector, and owner of several Star Wars websites, posted news of the theft of his rare prototype rocket-firing Boba Fett action figure from his Texas warehouse. Now, I think we have talked about that rocket-firing uh, Boba Fett action figure oh, yeah. on this show a few times. It, it's Didn't you whole... own a copy of, uh, or one of those? Oh, no, no. No, no, no. no. I, uh, n- No. <laughs> Which one? That, which was the figure that? If if he did, he would not be hanging out on this podcast with us. No. Okay. Yeah, I'd be. And, it's that know, rare. I'd be on my <laughs> private yacht somewhere in the South Seas. Okay, do, so do, it's 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 yeah things worth a couple hundred grand. 
it's it's worth a lot of money. Okay. Well, the email goes on to say that um, that Philip Wise um, reported that another toy dealer, Zach Tan, a respected toy dealer and collector in Southern California, uh, notified Philip that he had purchased that figure from Carl Edward Cunningham, age 45, a well-known Star Wars collector and R2-D2 builder from Marietta, Georgia. Um, and uh, Also, Richie Cunningham's uh, bad seed cousin. <laughs> just wanted to throw that in there. I was just about to bust out with the not Mr. C. <laughs> oh, like mine. Apparent, like, like <laughs> apparently, Rancho Obi-Wan got too much vitamin C. I'll tell you that. Uh, hey. Hey. Uh, so this individual, Carl Edward Cunningham, had stayed at Rancho Obi-Wan on and off a few times during about a year's uh, time and um, was, has now been arrested under suspicion of theft by Sonoma County sheriffs. Uh, he is currently free on bail with additional hearings in the case scheduled. Uh, Steve Sansweet goes on to say in this email, I have known Carl for many years, considered him a good and trusted friend, and played host to him in my home numerous times. I and the staff at Rancho Obi-Wan are devastated that he is the alleged perpetrator of the thefts. Not only have important items been stolen from the collection, but also our time, energy, and ability to trust unconditionally have taken a blow. So uh, I'm I'm sorry for for Rancho Obi Wan for having this uh, happen. It's uh, it's certainly a tragedy. I'm thrilled that they they have the perp in in custody. But uh, this is making national news, guys. This is all over multiple websites, and um, I I just find the press coverage on this interesting, and curious to know what you guys think. I think this is. I think it gets a lot of coverage because, one, it's Star Wars, and almost everybody has some connection, positive or negative, to Star Wars. And the idea that, particularly for our age group, that so many of these things that we had in our youth. Good Lord. Sorry. It really is interrupt Dave Potter night. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. He's a little bitter about that. (laughs) Sorry. That was a uh, producer's error. It's okay. It's all right. Fire uh, that guy. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but what I was going to say is I, it, I think it, there's just a fascination for the folks of our generation who grew up with these things, and we were so casual with them in our youth that they are now worth just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm, I'm kind of curious because Scott is, I mean, hands down, the vintage toy guru of our group, and I'm just curious – I have an article here from the LA Times that mentions, gives us an itemized list of some of the rare items that were taken and are still missing. And I'm curious, Scott, if you have heard of any of these or are familiar with any of these or any of the lingo, at least, for them. Well, let me clarify one thing real quick. I may be the guru on this, but Greg definitely holds the record for still in possession of vintage items over me. Uh, There's a sad story that goes along with that, but we will talk about that another another day but yes 
Well, I so, think your collection. I think your collection is by far and away larger than mine. But I guess I, I, I guess since I have my toys from '77 and 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 yours are mostly from the '90s, is that am I mistaken in that? Yeah, most of my vintage stuff is gone. I do have a few pieces left, but not much. Uh, oh, I, have, I have a few vintage pieces too, but I, I don't think they're going to be needed for the Rancho Obi Wan display. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> well, Dave, don't so, sell yourself short there, though. Don't you have the uh, original '77? case for the for the figures and a lot of your figures are still intact in that case i've seen it i i do and the the prize the prize toy possession i have is the uh is the slave one with the han solo and carbonite nice original i i have that same case you have dave and yours is in a lot nicer condition than mine is yours is a lot nicer condition uh, that i thank you and i i have the survival gear uh send away thing you had to collect the Kenner uh, proof of purchases and send away for that which I'd like to I have a bunch of those pieces as well um, they're all mixed in everything's all mixed together though. nothing's separated in any way shape or form I am going to pull right. the guru card on you at the moment <laughs> uh, no figures at all from Kenner were released in 77 so that case that you're discussing is most likely 78 or 79 whatever nerd nerd but that that's a great segue back to what i wanted to ask about to just get scott any any insight scott can offer and scott i'm not trying to put you on the spot i just figure you're you're the best qualified to comment on any of this but so among the rare items taken from the rancho obi-wan shelves a ben kenobi 12 back series packaged palatoy action figure worth more than eleven hundred dollars and oh, it says yeah. here it's part of the very first line of action figures produced for, produced for the original Star Wars. Yeah, the twelve backs are are notorious, famous. Uh, if you don't know, if you're not into the collecting scene and you don't understand what twelve back, uh, t- what is it, twenty four back, and then it goes on from there. Uh, what that means, uh, you're not really a collector. I'm sorry, you're just not. <laughs> Does does that refer to on the back? There was a listing of the other action figures that were available. Does that does that is that what it's referring to? Like there were twelve other Star Wars action figures at that time. Yeah, the original first run of the line had twelve action figures in it. It had twelve on the back. Uh, had the the really nice. Uh, I'm gonna forget this is this is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my guru, guru status. Is uh, I actually used to know who the photographer was that did the toy photography for the backs, uh, but it's a beautiful back uh, design multicolored backdrops for all the action figures it's it's brilliant they've redone that over the years um with uh like vintage reproductions and stuff like that all right so they also say that a luke skywalker action figure from the empire strikes back was one of the missing items and that can go from anywhere from 200 to 800 dollars online but they don't give a specific so it's not real useful but here this is the interesting one uh two of sand suites most prized and still missing pieces hold a special place in his heart one is a cardboard death star made by the toy company palatoy in 1978 in england it was sold in just a handful of countries overseas and is considered a holy grail item by hardcore star wars collectors and they have a picture of it here and i don't think i've ever seen this thing before yeah it's it's a fantastic piece most people are familiar with the plastic toy i think greg you have the original death star still I, I have the Death Star playset. Yeah, the one that was about it was about a foot and a half tall. It was three levels. It had yes. the trash compactor. Yeah, but the Palatoy version, which Dave is referring to, is primarily made up of cardboard pieces that kind of look the shape of a globe. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a, it it 
it's about the shape of a half globe. Half globe. So it can sit without wobbling around and stuff, but you can yeah. put the figures on some of the, the levels and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's it's still a beautiful piece. Yeah, and from the, the pictures here with some of the action figures next to it, this thing is uh, gigantic. It's not quite USS Flag, G.I. Joe's size, but it's a ginormous playset for the, the Star Wars era. And and what was wonderful about that was they took that, when they re, um, reintroduced the line in 1995, uh, they used the idea of cardboard playsets or dioramas. Um, that's that's where Kenner kind of went with the newer versions of the figures and used that as as a basis, I believe. So it's it's so, it's good stuff. Good stuff. The the other rare item that they they uh, name check here in this article is apparently a Canadian only packaged wind up R two D two figure. That one I'm not too familiar with. Um, the one thing about Steven uh, Sansweet is, and even though I have fun and, and kind of mock him a little bit with my garage full of toys, um, he does have some unbelievably rare stuff and stuff I've never heard of. I have to look up in, in a lot of my guides, my books that I have. Um, there is some great Canadian-only uh, uh, pieces out there, but that is one I'm not familiar with. So... One reason I'm kind of name-checking all this is elsewhere in this article, they talk about how they've recovered maybe 5% of the things that were stolen, and they're not confident that they're going to be able to recover the other 95. And for him to get any kind of insurance settlement money for this, he would have to be able to produce some kind of record that he actually bought it or purchased it, and he's not able to do that in every instance because a lot of these things are done – I would imagine just privately or something like that. And for for a lot of collectibles that are out there, you know, coins, stamps, even comic books, there are these third-party grading services that you can go to so that you can get a, a certified copy. And it goes into that grading company's record somewhere. So if you have a, a graded 9.6 giant-sized X-Men 1, there is a record at a third-party company that that copy, you know, there are seven copies of those in existence. And one of them is owned by you know, Dave Potter. I don't own it, just hypothetically. I'll dream for a minute. And if there was if there was ever a problem, there's a record for that for insurance. But also, if it's ever stolen, it becomes so much easier for the cops and police to track because there's a record of it. I actually served on a jury once for a stolen coin uh, situation, and the, the dumbass thief actually stole what wound up being a unique certified third-party coin. So when it popped up with him selling it somewhere, it was very easy to say, well, yeah, this has to be from the stolen collection because it's the only one in existence of that grade and value. <laughs> that doesn't exist. That doesn't really exist for toys anywhere to my knowledge or for any collectibles like this. Dave, and that's it's, what makes it's, it... it's, it's really not funny when you call me a dumbass to my face like that. Oh, man. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Frank. <laughs> Stupid criminal. I, I didn't know it was the only one. Jesus Christ. It wasn't stolen. <laughs> It's just it's it's interesting and sad to me that he has gone through this and this guy has probably stolen these things and probably resold them online to people who will not come forward with it and there's no other way to track it down or prove it. These things are just going to disappear into somebody's private collection and that'll be the end of it. Now there was an article I, when this kind of came up with us in the group. I did ch uh, check into a few things. Some people have actually been I think there's there's an outpouring of fans that want to get this as much of it back, the stolen material back to Steve. 
and not our Steve. I know he wants it, but I'll take it. Yeah, I know you will. Um, <laughs> but I, I think there is an effort out there that people are trying to get reimbursed through the insurance company and the claim uh, if they know that the material or the, the item that that they have or own or purchased was one of the stolen pieces. Um, but he said it's going to take a long process. I had something very similar happen, not $200,000 worth of merchandise, but going through the insurance and the claim process and having everything itemized and priced and as many receipts and whatever proof or evidence I could come up with was so painstakingly horrible. I would, I feel so bad for him right now, actually. Not just the, the loss of the items that meant so much to him, but the process he's going to have to go through, and it's going to be a long process for him. You know, the whole insurance process on collectibles is kind of dicey anyway, and, and I'm going to speak to something, and Scott, you might know a little bit more about this, is like trying to get insurance on a classic car, you know? Like like a, cl- a good classic car could be worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, but because it is just an old car insurance wants to look at it just as something that's worth oh well like you know you can pick up one of those for a couple hundred bucks they're not all judged the same depending on the condition is so i can't imagine what it must be like going through insurance for all this collectible stuff where you know that the 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 value of it is is so nebulous really compared to what you know insurance is kind of there for 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 just the the life value i guess is what you want to say not so much the sentimental value so right yeah this could go on for a long time but i will say dealing with the the vintage car aspect of it greg that you mentioned uh shopping around talking to the right people reviewing the different types of policies that are out that are out there that have a lot of specifics that you can like nail things down to because you could go out and buy a junker old car from the 50s or 60s for a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks but there are right. people that know that a, uh, a, you know, a car that has been fully restored, taken care of, fixed up, can be upwards of, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. How do you gauge that from a hundred dollars to a hundred thousand um, dollars? It it is a long, tedious process, and finding the right insurance company that can handle it, cover the things that you're looking for, is certainly the way to go. And I'm sorry this got all technical and kind of weird about this, but. I'm sure Stephen had a bunch of that he dealt with already on the level. I mean, the fact that he had a museum of all of this stuff, he has to have some sort of insurance. But no matter what, an insurance company is going to give you some some pushback on this. So he's 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 going to be looking at an uphill battle right here. Yeah, but I'm I'm sorry. You know what kind of what, what kind of a special asshole does it take to stay in someone's home and steal stuff from the home? Yeah, I mean, you know, or essentially that's what this guy did. Two hundred thousand dollars worth of yeah of collectible items. Yeah. yeah. Well, if he is found guilty, certainly he's in custody, and uh, so justice will will have its day. May he spend his life in Mustafar. <laughs> will he spend the rest of his days watching episode two? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and and he definitely gets the Wretched Hive Asshole of the Week award. So yes. congratulations, Dick. Oh, that's that might be a new segment. Asshole of the week. <laughs> Asshole of the week. <laughs> All right, moving on, guys. Uh, we've got a few other stories to cover here as we, as we. Uh, boy, this is going to be a long show. It already is a long show, but uh, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, so there were a few stories about 
movies that are coming out. I don't know if you've heard, but you know, episode eight and nine are in production. I don't even know what's what? Yeah, coming out. And uh, <laughs> Colin Trevorrow, who is uh, the director for Star Wars Episode Nine, was making the rounds talking about Carrie Fisher and how they're going to deal with Carrie Fisher in Episode Nine. This, according to CinemaBlend.com, Carrie Fisher's death in December was a hammer blow to Star Wars fans across the world. Certainly, on our show, we devoted one of our uh, one of our episodes to Carrie, and uh, we're certainly still still reeling from her from the loss uh, that was her her passing. Um, and uh, Colin Trevorrow was uh, uh, speaking to the media about how they're going to handle it in episode nine as, as most star Wars fans know, um, Carrie Fisher's, uh, princess Leia is a, or general Leia actually is a, uh, a central character in episode eight that was, uh, completed before her death. At least the filming was completed. And now episode nine, they've got to figure out what to do. How do you handle, Carrie's uh, not being around and Princess Leia, therefore, not being in the film. And um, so Colin was quoted here in Cinema Blend on CinemaBlend.com. She was a major character. That's not a secret. Speaking of her role in Episode 9, she really was. And it was extremely sad for all of us, mostly just because she was so loved by the Star Wars family and everyone that worked with her. I feel like our opinions are limited mostly by ourselves in that there are only certain things that we are willing to do, but I can guarantee it will be handled with love and respect and all of the soul that Carrie Fisher deserves. So, you know, this could be a a topic for an entire hour and a half show. What do you do with the Princess Leia character moving forward in episode nine? Um, Lucasfilm has already been very clear uh, about the fact that they are not going to make changes to episode eight to compensate for the loss of Carrie Fisher. So, I mean, guys, if you're the screenwriter for episode nine, what, what do you do? You, how do you put pen to paper and explain that, uh, Carrie, you know, that princess Leia is no longer around? What do you do? Yeah, maybe she's on vacation. <laughs> she took a vacation. She's doing a lot of general work, and you're saying they're going to do a threes company on her? That that's what they're going to do? Yeah. Are you calling back to our interview <laughs> with the Hellflowers in their their new EP? <laughs> yeah. Uh, are, so... are, are they going to treat it like the Dukes of Hazard and just have her go off to be a NASCAR driver for a season and bring in some crappy replacement actress hmm. to be your cousin? You know, I was I was thinking about you know talking to you guys about this tonight on my way home, and I was thinking about what if they did just redo one scene in Episode Eight, and it would be terrible. But the scene the scene that I had in my head was this confrontation with Luke and Leia and Kylo, and if you can imagine somehow they were able to digitally change. Uh, the scene so that Kylo either like force pushes her off the side of a cliff or, or, you know, somehow uh, attacks her with his, with the lightsaber. I don't know. How, how do you, I mean, do you show it? Would, would it be completely uncouth to, to, to show something on screen 
or do you just sort of allude to the fact that well she she's off in some battle or was killed in some battle i mean this has really got to be a serious dilemma for these the, the folks that are in charge of 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 making these films yeah but i, I think they got a, a one step ahead of us steve um the fact that they have scripts and they know the story uh, kind of gives them a little bit of an edge and as much as i want to think about this and dwell on this and and it is a, a really interesting subject i just don't know as as you know, and sorry to say this to our fans out there, we do get a lot of intel on Star Wars. We don't have the inside scoop on some major plot stuff that's happening in Episode Eight. So, to presume that we even have an idea right now, for for me anyway, I, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm going to leave it up in the air and see how it plays out at least through Episode Eight. Well, what we do know is that she was going to be the central character for Episode Nine. Kathleen Kennedy so, has said that. Trevorrow said that. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to jump back on that. Um, I didn't think that was a set in stone thing. I thought that was something that Carrie Fisher herself had made mention in an interview, saying that since Han Solo was the main character in the first one, Luke is obviously the main character in the second one, that she would like to be the main focal point during episode nine. She did, but Kathleen Kennedy confirmed that that was the case, oh. that she was going to be the lead it would have been her movie hmm. was Kathleen Kennedy's quote. So I, I, think, I think I think the, I think the challenge for us is or I think the, the interesting question that we won't know the answer to is are they going to resolve this entirely within the confines of episode nine or have they done any kind of reshoot or re-editing of what happens in episode eight to set up what has to be the new track that episode nine is going to follow. And Greg, I'm sorry I cut you off. No, that's totally okay. I was gonna just kind of push off, and and it it kind of ties into what you're talking about also. But I was gonna I was gonna push off on what Scott was talking about there. So, uh, I I guess in a roundabout way, you could say that of the original trilogy characters, Han Solo was the main focus in in Force Awakens, and Last Jedi. It appears there's going to be a lot more emphasis on Luke because there was none in Episode Seven at all so i don't know that you could say that that the carrie fisher the Laragana character was going to be the main focus of episode nine because really the main focus is these new characters mm. I, I i so i think that that's kathleen kennedy saying we wanted her to be a big part of the end of this trilogy um but was she going to be the main focus of that story i i, I think that's a stretch mm. Well, if the idea was to have perhaps the relationship between mother and son be some kind of redeeming factor for Kylo Ren, and that's just complete off the top of my head late night speculation, that would make sense to me. But they're going to have to go in a very, very different direction because they have they have no parental figure to pull Kylo back with now. Yeah, yeah, I, I it, that that's the one thing that that that's a very good point, and that's the one thing that kind of takes you back to. The Leia being the the main focus of the original trilogy characters in the last movie, because yeah, that's kind of where you see that story progressing. Is there is there's the reconciliation between mother and son, um, and now obviously that can't happen. So where does that where does that reconciliation happen? I have, I don't have an answer for. I don't even have a conjecture for that. Yeah, me either. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Greg. Um, and I I want to jump in on that too because if that's the case 
and it, it, I don't know obviously how episode eight's storyline goes along with it, but since there is no father anymore, no father figure anyway, uh, unless there's a Luke and Kylo reconciliation, um, you lose that whole family tie really, and that could that could change the dynamic of Kylo Ren's character by the third film. If there was going to be some similarities of of the redemption of Vader to the redemption of Kylo Ren, if that was a possibility or an idea, that's pretty much tossed. It's gone. So the only the only thing I see or foresee would be some sort of some sort of uh, resolution between him and Luke. But I don't know. I don't. Hmm. Well, one thing that's been consistently reported as well is that Episode Eight is going to, as the middle segment of this new trilogy, it's going to be dark. It's going to be dark the same way that Empire was dark in the original trilogy. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I, I'm I'm even more intrigued now than ever to see how they're going to handle you know, Episode 8 and how they're going to leave it leading in to Episode 9. Uh, it, it's a, it's a big question. I mean, these are, you know, I think it's, it's, it's not a financial consideration necessarily, as we talk a lot about the business side of movies on our show as well. I think it's a story, a continuity question because you had intended to have Princess Leia be the, the focal point of episode nine. That means that's a huge rewrite. Now you've, you've got to go back to the drawing board almost it, you're not going to recast it, so you've got to create a new story, and that's that's at this stage in the game a, a fairly daunting proposition, I would think. That's that's an interesting point, but I'm actually going to jump on on Greg's bandwagon here, and sorry for the weird <laughs> uh, innuendo there, Greg. Scott and I are just ball washing each other completely all night long. <laughs> You're so great, Scott Avansky. I love you. No, I love you, Greg. I love you. Um, no, I. Your you, junk is huge. <laughs> I want to. I want to point out that Greg made a wonderful point, and you know what? We, we talk about this. How they mentioned it in interviews, and Kathleen Kennedy, and also Carrie Fisher, prior to her death. Um, but what's really the focal point of this movie are the new characters, mm. and even though. Uh, Han Solo got a, a, or Harrison Ford got the focal point from the classic character part of point of view, and Luke is supposed to in this one. We should really be more focused on the main characters, and I think that story is still there. We don't know what it is yet, but what has to change, obviously, is the is the direction that they were going to take Leia, how that's going to affect the new characters. If if by what we've seen in this new teaser or the the first teaser is a complete change-up of the ideas that we've grown up knowing about the Jedi and everything's got to change, I don't think it's going to be as difficult as we think it is. Hmm. I, I like what you're saying, though. It, it does it does point out a challenge for the writers uh, and how that's going to affect that last film, but I don't know. I, I see it as as long as they stay true to where the characters are going, the ones that we are now getting used to, all the classic stuff can kind of be rearranged a little bit. They can still work it. I really feel that if they do need to have some sort of conflict between old characters and new characters, we at least still have Luke. So, Got it. Got it. 
Well, it'll be interesting. We've only got a few more months until we uh, we unravel some of the mystery. Yeah, we're in June now, guys. We are we're rocketing. Yeah, towards spaceship nine, spaceship eight is what we're rocketing towards. So no, no doubt about it. Yeah, no summer, doubt. June. It's June, July, and August. Man, is convention central, and we should be getting tons of new stuff coming out pretty soon. Now, talking about episode nine, there was an interesting story out, actually, out of Japan, and this being uh, reported by io9.gizmo.com. If the Last Jedi really has the biggest reveal in Star Wars history, what could it be? And this is referencing a Japanese ad for Star Wars, The Last Jedi, that that makes the claim that um, the film will include the biggest, most shocking reveal in Star Wars history. Uh, and so, whether or not that's a you know that gets lost a little bit in the translation, I'm not sure. Um, this article goes on to say that it could be. Uh, the word shocking could be also translated as devastating, gut-wrenching, startling, sensational, astounding, or astonishing. Um, or, so it could mean just about anything. Well, but it's the most devastating, gut-wrenching, startling, sensational, etc. in Star Wars history. So what could that mean? I mean, in my book, the most shocking revelation is, you know, Luke, I am your father. Right, obviously, that's to me. That's that was like earth-shattering. So if it's if it's more earth-shattering than that, and given that this is a little bit subjective, what might the revelation be in Episode Eight? Steve, I know where you're leading us here. This we're not going to go down the Kenobi route again, are we? Is that what this is? <laughs> what you is read your, my mind, my friend. What is your infatuation with Kenobi? I, I, I'm sensing something. You here. mean his nephew, <laughs> Ray? Obviously, we all agree now that you guys agree with me that Ray is a Kenobi. I've been <laughs> saying this for 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 almost a year now, and you're still wrong. <laughs> all right, somebody's gonna owe somebody a case of beer in in. Uh, with a, a testicle on it <laughs> <laughs> for munching. Mm, yummy, 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 yummy. Uh, well, funny you mentioned that, Scott, because Ewan McGregor has been making the rounds, and uh, he was uh, on the Jimmy Kimmel show actually recently. And hopefully... I heard he announced that the Obi Wan Kenobi trailer is going to be in front of the uh, the 4K Blu-ray edition of the Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> 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 uh, what a cheeky little bugger you and McGregor is. <laughs> Did you invade my dreams, Greg Lent? What's that? So this he is invades it. your dreams every night, Stephen. You invite him there. Very true. Uh, so this is Ewan uh, on the Jim Kimmy show. The Jim Kimmy show. I don't know. Jim Kimmy. Too. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's late, and I've been consuming beverages this entire time. Um, this is Ewan on Jimmy Kimmel talking about the possibility of a Han Solo trilogy. Let's see if I can get this to play here. Doing, you know, they're doing a Han Solo solo film. They're shooting one right now. I'm yeah. sure you're aware of this. I wonder if an Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, <laughs> solo, pro, you know, yeah. only Obi-Wan. Is that something that you would be interested That's in? That's a good title. Only Obi-Wan. Only Obi, yeah. <laughs> I would. I, it's got to the point where I've been asked... Uh, and I don't mean any offense. No, I've been 
asked there. this question so many times, and I answer questions yeah. when I'm asked them because I've been brought up like that. It's yeah, polite. it's polite. And um, <laughs> it, a... it's got to the point now where it looks like I'm touting for work at Disney's front door. <laughs> oh, I see. Like, give me the hope. I see what you're saying. No. Yeah. But I, of course, I'd be happy to do it. Um, did you steal a lightsaber yes. when you did that the first time? <laughs> of course, I'd be happy to do it. It's happening. <laughs> Wait, wait. I, I, I just love the fact that he's getting into like the, the Shatner SNL skit territory right now yeah. where he's just like everybody just like get a life. You know? <laughs> it's almost like I'm toting for work at Disney's door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, every interview he does with anyone that's semi close to geekdom asks him about the Obi-Wan trilogy that's purportedly coming that we have been reporting here for a year on the Wretched High podcast because clearly Ray is related to Obi-Wan. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what to I can't Man. go anywhere with that anymore. I know. All right. Because it's, it's not true. Wow. Thank you, Greg. Okay, no trust. Clearly we've uh, the, the trust box has a leak in the bottom of it in this show. <laughs> wow. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> yeah. Are, well are you are you asking for loyalty from all of us? Is that what you're asking for? I I expect because loyalty. All I can, all I can give you, Steve, is honest loyalty. Honest loyalty. That's all. That's all you're gonna get from us. <laughs> well, I I don't know how much honest loyalty I can give you, given that we're reading stories like this one on ScreenRant.com, claiming they have leaked trailer footage from episode 8 that shows Luke on his meditation rock hovering. Have you guys seen this? I did. Yeah, Luke is uh Luke it appears to be Luke Skywalker uh standing on a large chunk of rock hovering above the ground that purportedly is a screenshot from the a trailer that will be coming soon. They're calling it the Meditation Rock, as it's been dubbed. There's also uh, uh, footage that was, how shall we say, surreptitiously uh, put online. Star Wars Episode Eight live filming of the Meditation Rock scene. And this is all, by the way, on uh, ScreenRant.com. You can find it fairly easily on, on the YouTubes or ScreenRant.com. So this is interesting. What do you think about this shot of Luke uh, meditating on his levitating rock? Is this is this legit? It looks legit. Has anybody else seen it? Am I the only one who's seen it? I've seen it. Yeah. Even you talk. I'm tired of talking. <laughs> I've been talking all night. Let's keep going, man. Let's just keep going. Two hours in, where I think we're all. <laughs> well, first of all, okay, Greg, you're asking me. You know, it's me. not that I'm tired of talking. I think people are tired of hearing me. No, no, no. no. You're asking That's me. That's been going on for 18 months. You want. Go God ahead. damn it. Greg, no, you God damn it. Listen to me for a second. You want me to talk about a shot that we're questioning. It does look authentic, but I am the guy who does Photoshop for a living. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it looks like something that could have been taken from The Force Awakens and cut and pasted into this shot here. I mean, it doesn't look legit to me. It, it looks legit enough that it looks it, it looks like a screen capture. Yeah. Uh, the perspective is uh, from behind Luke... Um, levitating on this rock, uh, almost like a, a flat boulder, 
Yeah. Um, it looks like a genuine screenshot from a film, like an actual film, uh, and not like a high-res Photoshop photo. So, so we don't see Luke's face in it. No, we do nope. see it, the full cloaked Luke standing on this rock that's levitating, I don't know, a good four to six feet off the ground. Facing away from the so, camera. Facing so away. So it could, it could be David Copperfield is what I'm saying. <laughs> Full on. It oh. is. Pulls yeah. out the Copperfield reference at midnight. Uh, you had to do that, that's didn't strong. you? Oh. What, what, I, what hey. I'm wondering, what I'm actually wondering, and in, and in all seriousness now, is if you go and you watch this video at Screen Rant, is the dude in the backwards cap that's narrating the most the, most of the video, mm. is he actually Dave Grohl from like 1992? <laughs> Fast forward so. to the future is now commenting on Star Wars. Because I swear to God, this guy looks like Dave Grohl from 1992. Hey, that's a good look. <laughs> he's wearing hey. the hoodie he's got the backwards cap he looks like he's a baby hey heart shaped boner is my favorite Nirvana song. <laughs> guys I've got one more story to share here and we're going to wrap this uh, this bad boy up here uh, there's a really cool petition online Star Wars fans petition the original Chewbacca actor to be in the Han Solo film but it's not what you're thinking uh, this is a petition Let's see if I can get to the meat of it here. The petition was started when Aaron Victor earlier this month on change.org, which as of now, the petition has uh, almost 3,400 signatures, needs 5,000 signatures to be delivered to directors Chris Miller and Phil Lord. And um, the petition states, for the new Han Solo anthology film, young Han Solo and young Chewbacca will both be played by new young actors. At Star Wars Celebration a few weeks ago, I found out that Peter Mayhew, the actor who played Chewbacca in every Star Wars film to date, would love the opportunity to have a quick cameo as himself in the background of the new Han Solo standalone film. The precedent has already been set. A number of Star Wars masked character actors have donned new costumes in other scenes or even other movies, including Warwick Davis, Jeremy Bullock, Ahmed Best, Anthony Daniels, etc. Their roles demand a little little spotlight, but to avid fans of the franchise, their appearances were fun Easter eggs and provided some unique trivia. So this 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 petition is asking for is our our fans to sign to support. Peter Mayhew for having a cameo in the new Star Wars film that's not him inside the Chewbacca costume. Yeah. I think it's so cool. I fully support this. Um, I'm going to throw a lot of love out out this way for Peter Mayhew. Uh, And so please don't take me wrong when I say this. He is one tall, lanky-looking dude, obviously, to fit in that costume. But he is scary enough to just fit in normally in the cantina. So... Let's just put him in the background of the cantina as is, and we're good. We're solid. I, I say make it happen. This guy is so cool. He goes to every Star Wars event he can. He's at all the celebrations. Yeah. He is a great ambassador to Star Wars. Give this to him. Yeah, you know, I, I agree 100%. Um, a, a funny thing that it came out of the Star Wars celebration panel when Mark Hamill was sitting there talking to Warwick Davis. As Mark Hamill made the comment to Mr. Davis. He said, you know, that you, being Warwick, have been in more more Star Wars movies than I have now, Mark Hamill. And that's actually true. He's appeared in, in he's appeared in every movie since Jedi, um, including the uh, 
the including Rogue One. So he's made more Star Wars appearances than Mark Hamill has in any Star Wars film. So yeah, let's get Peter Mayhew in there. Let's let's put him in there as well because he absolutely deserves it. If we can have Stan Lee showing up in every single goddamn Marvel film that's out there, <laughs> let's get Peter Mayhew in every in every in every Star Wars film until that guy kicks the bucket because it's not much longer before honestly that guy. Yeah, no doubt. That would yeah, he's had a lot of health issues and he's walked with a cane and a, and a walker I think a few times. I've seen him at conventions. Um, and now it's a really big scooter. A big scooter, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah this this brings up an interesting subject about possibly finding all those Easter eggs and cameos of masked actors in other roles with that, within the film. I'm curious. George about... Lucas and his kids were both in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Attack of the Clones. Yes. Uh, was that? I think Jet was actually in... Um... Actually, they're in Revenge of the Sith. The... Oh, yeah, they're all weren't the Backstreet Boys in one of those two movies? Uh, or was uh, that in, 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 in sync was the rumor, and that was just a rumor. I was going to say, happen. did that actually happen? Didn't actually yeah, happen. I didn't think so. But, but that was a big rumor at the time. Yeah. 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 But Jet actually has a key part. He's one of the last Padawans that gets slain by oh, uh, that's a right. clone trooper on the, on the bridge there. I had forgotten that. Towards that the is end that, of... That's, uh, that is the, that's the same story that I've heard, yeah. Yep. And George and his oldest daughter are the the dignitaries as they're walking into the opera, the water space opera. Hmm. The opera, that's, that's right. right. It is, yeah. That's yes, the the, with, yeah. with the story of Darth Plagueis. Yeah, Plagueis, <laughs> the uh, George... greatest, the greatest Sith Lord ever, <laughs> Darth Plagueis. Of the week, Red Five standing by. Because if there's something to whine about, you can count on Luke. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Even though he's now an old man. No! It just isn't fair. Well, Greg, what do you got for us this week? Well, this week we're switching it up a little bit, Steve. We're uh, we're going to step away from old lonely Luke there. Let it be lonely on that island. He's been having some company, though. He's with Ray. He's just fine out there. So we're switching it up this week. This week we've got uh, we're switching over to Dad Joke Han Solo. If you're on the Twitters there on the internets, you can find him at at Dad Joke Han Solo. And I found this one that I thought was perfect from May the 14th. If you're ready, I am ready. All right. So where do you bring a sick tauntaun? I don't know where. I do don't you... know where. <laughs> to the hospital. Because Hoth is where the Tauntauns come from. Ben, it's genius! <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> How are we not using that throughout the rest of the show? Uh, it, it, it may be a standard fixture uh, moving forward. Thanks for pulling that up there, Steve. It totally it 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 need it needed the butt up bump in there just to really drive that home. So I'm glad you were ready for me. I'm I'm we, here for you, man. We we spared no expense in the Wretched Hive production. <laughs> That's all you got? Is, is there more? I thought there was more. There, there it, it's a tweet. There's 140 characters. It's all you can get in there. You want me to do another one? I'll do another one. Yeah, well, do I'm, wait, I'm, wait, wait, another one. Come on, do another right. one. Yep. Did you just I'm, glad you picked, I'm glad you picked one from May 14th because it was one with the fourth. <laughs> so why did Uncle Owen buy a protocol droid? I don't know. Why did he? <laughs> why did he buy a protocol droid? Will you back you off know, the buttons, know, man? 
Next week, I want you to actually get your snare drum, and I want you to do these live as well. Oh, that's kidding. a great idea. <laughs> Never that's mind. Uh, we'll do it live. That's a All right. So, so okay, <laughs> why did I go and buy the protocol droid? Because his amateur cold droid didn't have enough experience. Ho! <laughs> hey -o! Oh, my God. That's a great idea with the snare drum in the. <laughs> in the that's happening. <laughs> I'm going to say it right now. All right, you got. I, I'm sure you have one more there, don't you? Because you over prepare. Ben, you should call yourself Pound Ren, not Kilo Ren, if you like the Imperial system so much. Hashtag think about that. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> All right. Somewhere along in this episode, too. I haven't heard. I hope he's still alive. It's been about 30, 40 minutes since he's even peeped up at all. It's so, possible that he's no longer he's alive. alive. I hope he's okay. <laughs> Well, guys, we're going to uh, we're going to change it up a little bit at the end here. Uh, we are going to let the Hellflowers take us out of this one, guys. Remember, everybody, June 16th, I had no egg. Wow. Episode 38 is in the books. That was a fun episode. Crisis. We're going to have a midlife crisis in another couple episodes. Yeah, we're going to be into our 40s. Like all of us. Well, four-fifths of us. I want a vacation. You got to check out this EP. If you haven't, download it today. It's on iTunes. Hellflowers Vacation. A lot of fun. Really, really good stuff. And really cool people, too, as you heard. Want to support and them Star as much Wars as Star Wars fans we can. as well. And Star Wars fans. Hell, beyond Star Wars fans, worked on Star Wars. Yeah. Good stuff. If you want to connect with us or the Hellflowers or anything else, go on Facebook. Find our page, facebook.com forward slash Wretched Hive Podcast. You can also find us online. At uh, www.theretchedhive.net. You can also leave us a voicemail, 562 455 4483. That's 562 455 Hive. Sorry, let me try that again. 562 Hive. And uh, we're, we've been pretty active on Twitter actually lately. And uh, our Twitter handle uh, is, of course, at RetchHivePod. Thank you, at Wretch Hive Pod. You know, it gets past midnight. I get a little bit loopy. <laughs> uh, you can also look us up on Podbean at uh, wretchedhive.podbean.com. And uh, I think still the best way to find the show is on iTunes. Bring up your uh, iTunes feed in, uh, or your podcast feed in iTunes. Search for The Wretched Hive will be the first one that comes up. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Five stars, one star, any number of stars. We don't care. We just want to connect with you, our fans of The Wretched Hive Podcast. And guys, final thoughts on this week's show. Take us home, guys. Good job. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to check out some health flowers. That's what I'm going to do. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna check him out, and I think I'm gonna make a purchase on iTunes myself because that band kicks some ass. Absolutely, a lot of fun. We'll have to definitely go see a show, Greg. I am all over it. Guys, thanks so much. May the force be with us all. I'm going to leave it to the Hellflowers. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank God you played that last note of theirs. Podcasting professionals.